Did you ever think you were made it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. Retard, I know that offends you. What movie is that? Hangover. Hangover. <laughs> Hangover. All right, episode 177 today with Royce White. We got a lot of things to talk about today. Guys, I feel like it's been too long. We haven't done podcasts. We got yeah. back from Vegas last week. We were at the sick MGM event. Grand Arena. Come on, with, let's get real here. How sick was who that Who was event? it? We Stop had it. Shaq. Penn Little guy Teller, named Shaq. No big deal. Kurt Warner. We had mm-hmm. Nelly put on a concert. And I'm missing somebody. Brian Layla Adams. Ali. Brian Adams. Brian Adams, IMG. Not the and, singer, but... And the insurance legend. Layla and, Ali. And Layla Ali, which was great. But today, uh, we got a ton to cover. Before before I have you uh, meet our guest today, I want you to know what topics we're going to cover today. We got the Mar-a-Lago raid. We got a lot to do there. That's why we're starting 30 minutes before, by the way, 20 minutes before. We got the Salman Rushdie attack with Iran, which we'll definitely discuss. Jamie Dimon had a few things to say this week. China's uh, TikTok employees... LinkedIn profile indicates 300 current TikTok and ByteDance employees used to work for Chinese state media. What is that all about? And that's a Forbes story, by the way. And some of them still do. No Politics. The U.S. could could lose up to 900 warplanes fighting a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, but would emerge victorious, says Think Tank. This is an insider story. And then we got a couple interesting things going on. Walmart reaches streaming deal with Paramount, out of all people. Disney apparently passed up Netflix which Tom's got some commentary on that. U.S. housing affordability in June was the worst since 1989. And then uh, Alex Jones, Tom Brady doesn't seem too happy to be playing football, apparently. Who knows? We'll cover some of that stuff. But anyways, Royce White, good to have you here, man. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. For for some of the folks that don't know you, would you mind taking a minute and introducing your background? Wow. Uh, Where to begin? Um, I'm a former college basketball player. I guess that's the, the starting point. Not just a regular one. You were you were a very good college basketball very, player. Very successful uh, statistically, let's say. Um, I was one of uh, one of few players to lead their team in every major stat category. Um, and, and that's that's a rare feat for any for any player in any season in history, but especially in a, a power six conference like the Big Twelve. Um, especially at the time, it was very, very competitive at that time. So, you know, from there, I, I got drafted to the NBA very controversial way, um, challenged the NBA on mental health policy back before it was a talking point of the, uh, the uh, faux social justice warrior movement. Um, it, it wasn't talked about at all, let alone the way it's talked about now. And, and I got, the NBA railed against me for, for advocating that we have some type of policy around mental health. And, and um, shortly after, I was kind of kicked out of the league, blackballed, so to speak. And I've been there ever since for the last uh, 10 years. So for, for some folks that don't know the story, what I recall is when they were going back and forth, they says Royce could be a star in the NBA. He could do this. He could do that. But... You had a challenge with traveling because it's something to do with traveling, if you don't mind talking about. Well, I, I, I've always had anxiety or let's say I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder at a very young age. 16 came from the first time I smoked marijuana. I had a huge panic attack. It would have remnants uh, or, or subsequent panic attacks like two, three times a day for, I don't know, about a year. 
before I finally was even diagnosed and knew what it was. I thought for a year I was dying three times a day. And, and you know, if, if you've ever had a panic attack, it feels like you're dying. It simulates the the, the terror and, and fear of actually dying. Uh, so I say I look death in the eyes a, a, a million times, uh, thousands of times. Um, but when I finally found out what it was, um, you know, it, it changed my life in a sense. And uh, I, I started to understand that my fear of flying was connected to my anxiety as well. And, you know, so really the fear of flying part of my story um, was uh, misdirection from the mainstream media. Because what I remember, Adam, correct me on this. I remember the following. I remember was saying, whoever picks him up, he's only going to play home games. Or I don't know why I remember some of those stories on, on how that was structured. I mean, that, that's why I'm fit to lead, really. Because I had that first-hand experience with the mainstream media just corrupting and mis misrepresenting me in the most blatant way. And because the sports world is very passive in their their uh, premium on details, especially when it comes to personal stories away from the arena or away from the court, they were able to pass that story along with with great ease. And they were in a, you know went around the world three times before I got to put my pants on. Um, but but it was a complete misrepresentation. The the real truth is that um, I did have an, uh, a fear of flying. I still do have a fear of flying. I, I don't like flying uh, at all. But really. do you fly? Do you actually fly? But I was flying at that time. So when you were playing college ball, weren't you yeah. flying? Well, I went to Iowa State. It's in Ames, Iowa. The majority of the Big Twelve is in Texas, right? There's you know you can't drive any anywhere in the Big Twelve really. I, I did drive to a game in Manhattan, Kansas State. Um, and, and I ended up driving to the, the NCAA tournament, which was held in Louisville that year that we played. But other than that, every away game I, f I flew to. And I even flew once I got in the NBA. I flew once I got drafted in the transition in the summer before the season started. And, and even once I was traded to Philadelphia, I flew. So the entire uh, me not flying was a way for the establishment to write my story off for the passive the passive fan and, and not have a discussion about mental health, which was really more of a discussion about the human condition. And that's the one they were really trying to avoid. Two questions for you. Um, Cause you kind of glossed over it real quick. You said that the anxiety stemmed from the first time you smoked marijuana at age yeah. 16. Was it only one time? One, 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 one and time. done, bro. Like a, done. like a freshman entering the yeah, NBA. Yeah, one right. and done. You yeah. smoked weed one time and that set off a whole domino effect of anxiety, bro. Well, I, I think, you know, my my uh you know psych, psych psychology what stems from a bunch of things from mm -hmm. growing up where i grew up how i grew up as all of ours does um but that that first time smoking marijuana was the first time i had a severe Damn. panic attack and have you smoked since at all no nope. one time one and done it was a blessing well it, hey, was, it was a blessing and then as far as the nba goes what pat was discussing you're saying that they didn't want the real story to come out. They kind of like, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors. It was flying. What was your actual beef? Who was the GM at the time the draft? Was it Daryl Morey? That's right. Okay, so obviously Daryl, I'm sure you've gotten, had many conversations with Daryl Morey. He became famous because he was calling out oh, Hong Kong right. and China and the Uyghurs. And now he's ironically the GM of the Sixers, which he got traded to. I don't know if there's right. any like correlation there. There is. There is. All right, there cool. Is. I'm sure you'll talk about that. Um, but... What were the conversations like behind closed doors? What was really on your agenda? If they're saying they're mis misrepresenting what you wanted to do, which yeah. was mental health, and they were kind of disguising it with not wanting to fly, what were the conversations like? What was actually happening? 
Well, they, they did a great job of what the mainstream media does, and, and that's the, the three-card Monty, right? Um, the double cross and the triple cross. So they provide one story and have you look at this story while there's an actual secondary story on, but there's a third play that they're actually making. And in my case, it was, I asked, and, and let's start with the mental health policy that I advocated for, mm-hmm. um, which was at the time, any mental health policy whatsoever. When I was drafted, our collective bargaining agreement didn't have one mention of mental health in the entire document. So I advocated that we had, we create some addendum that either recognize mental health within the scope of overall health, mm-hmm. or we create an entirely separate addendum of mental health by itself. Uh, and they didn't want to do either. And, and they, they pushed back against me. The, doing the Rockets the, or the entire Well, I'll, I'll tell you. First, the Rockets said that they were in support of something like that, which they almost had to because all of the doctors that were around the situation um, were in support of it from a medical standpoint. They all said, look, it is kind of negligent to not have anything written down on how mm-hmm. we proceed with mental health not just from a health standpoint, but just a communication standpoint with the players. How are they supposed to understand the expectations around mental health if, if nobody's even talking about it? So it was the elephant in the room as far as topics go. And so, so the doctors were in support of it, so the Rockets were kind of in support of it. But once we got into the negotiations, the Rockets communicated to us, be it me and my agent management, that the NBA was railing against putting an actual policy in place, be it the league office. So at the time, that was David Stern. Adam Silver was the, um, the deputy commissioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and our players' union um, director, Billy, Billy King, yeah. uh, who ended up getting indicted and no longer there, but he was there at the time. So we had all these players at the table, all these people at the table trying to discuss what do we what do with players the players were – who was the um, head of the – Oh, no. Was it Chris Paul? Who was it? Non-existent. Not ex- zero players were in your would defense. never speak out. Uh, None on of the, uh, would what, never speak out on a real issue whatsoever. These okay. these these guys are the the quintessential sellouts. The quintessential black bourgeoisie sellouts. Which players? Which names? All of them. I'd have I trouble mean, naming you one that isn't. Really? But especially those guys: Chris Paul, LeBron, all the guys who have been propped up to sit like they speak on behalf of the players or mm-hmm. black people kind of the same thing uh they're sellouts so and my story was an example of that which is why i feel confident speaking on them because i've been behind the scenes and seen them be quiet when they should speak and then i've seen them speak when they should be quiet um but so the league railed against us having a mental health policy in the end and they they even threatened the rockets with fines and uh the loss of draft picks if they provided accommodations like for me to be able to bus from chicago to minneapolis and so what they said was, well, Roy says he doesn't want to fly at all. And if he has to fly at all, then he refuses to play. No. I asked that we put a policy in place that allowed me to drive when necessary, let's say from Orlando to Miami. And uh, the NBA said that would be a salary cap infringement. Hmm. Which, number one, it wouldn't be a salary cap infringement. But the fact that they said it let me know that they were just trying to pump me, basically. And, and that's what they were trying to do. And, and they were even open about that behind, the, behind closed doors. They would say things like, yeah, you're right about mental health. Important issue. We should we should do something about it. It's not talked about in the league, but you don't have any leverage. Who are you to tell us what to do? 
But weren't they right? What leverage did you have? You're coming in as a rookie. And I mean, I'm not coming at you. No, I'm no, just no. saying you're a rookie. No, they were right. You know, typically, right. and I've heard the hazing stories of the rookies, not like it's like a, you know, a they were fraternity, right. but they were hold right, the but bags, rookie, kind of get in line. Yeah, they were right, but they have no sacred honor, right? When we talk about leverage in that way, when we talk about leverage as a juxtaposition to what is truthful and factual, then we set the table for people to be able to lie their way through any situation in the world when they have the leverage over another group of people. Let me ask this question about uh, mental health. Okay, so mm -hmm. basketball in the 90s, that's when I followed basketball closely, yeah. okay? I don't remember anything with mental health. Maybe there was. I don't remember in the. I remember in the, one story in the '90s. Not to get you off topic. Uh, Sharif Abdul Rahim. Or, well, no, he had other issues. But do you remember Willie Burton? I do. I know Willie personally. Yeah. Well, he's Minnesota, right? Yeah, that's right. I remember he stopped playing because of depression. Okay. Do you remember this story? People laughed like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Willie, Willie, and I love him to death. And and if he's watching this, and I'm speaking out of turn, I I, I apologize, but. Willie, Willie has some struggles with addiction, mm. gotcha. as many players did. So, and, and when you say you don't remember hearing stories about mental health, that's the double cross and triple cross I was talking about with the media. Yes. Yeah, is, so, is that so here's, they presented it like when I said mental health, nobody knew what I was talking so about. So here's where I'm going with this. So when you say panic attack, I know exactly what panic attacks right. are because I went through it for a year and a half. When you start a business and you put your life savings into it and you're about to lose it all, it's very, right. very challenging because you busted your tail for a decade to save a half a million dollars in your 20s and you put in the business and you're down to $13,000 and everybody's looking at you to pay their salaries and commissions and you're about to bust and you have to fit. You just got married. You told everybody you're going to do this and it's not going to work out. So it's a very, the pressure on your, you feel like you're having a heart attack, by the way, like yeah. an elephant is sitting on your and chest. you've been so very open about that story I've, before. I've gone through, I've gone through panic attacks and I'd mm -hmm. go to emergency. But I'm like, what the hell is going on in my body? He's like, sir. You're just having a very bad panic attack. Right. And then they would give me IV for a couple hours and say, yeah, you, your body's exhausted. Right, you need to How much sleep, sleep are you getting? Yeah. This has happened probably five times in my career, mm -hmm. okay, where I have to go to the hospital and get IVs. Five but, times? That's no That's no small feat. I mean, are we talking? I think five is actually not bad. If it happens every three years, it's actually... Anyways, I'm not going yeah, there. So go. let's go over <laughs> yeah. here. So athletes today. So here's here's where I see it. So I think there's a difference between. Mm. So you, so you know you saw Ronda Rousey after the fight. Oh, I was suicidal. Michael Phelps. You know he she, he went through it. Yeah. Uh, Serena Williams even talked about how it was for her. You know, uh, uh, Ali Raisman talked about it. We have even the recent one, the tennis player Naomi Osaka. Yeah. So she, Simone Biles. So how? So, all mental health. So stuff. some some uh, Kevin Love is even in that community, yeah. right? I, Kevin I think, Love talked I think about. You guys had a little. Uh, he was the one to come after. After me. So so then here becomes here becomes the the difference. How how you know there's a part of it where like when I was going through it, I wasn't public about it. I was to myself, right? Now I was privately talking about it with my doctors and whoever I was dealing with, but it wasn't public because your business, you're not really talking about. I talked about it years later when I went through it. But you know like when you're hearing with Naomi going through it, you're hearing Kevin throw, go through it. What is the difference between I mean, you just went through a set of losses, and it's tough, and you got to go through it versus you're actually going through mental health. How do you differentiate between those two? Well, I think uh, it's two things. First, I think mental health has been weaponized by the woke, been weaponized through wokeism. Number one, and I think a huge part of the medical community and the mental health community, the psychological, the field of psychology through the universities, 
has also been corrupted by wokeism, by liberalism. And that reflects in even the diagnostical ways to determine the severity of mental illness. Um, but I think that's when you get down into the details. I think in general, the premise that I was coming from is we're not even acknowledging that mental health or the human psychology is a central part of human beingness to, to be. And, and so let's start there. And now if we need to reorient the details, we can do that. And, and to your point, I, I think that, you know, all of those cases are very different. Simone's case is different than Osaka's and, and, and Serena's, to Kevin, they're all different. Um, and they all carry their own unique, unique signature from a mental health standpoint. But I think very clearly if people are saying they have an issue, they probably are. The question is what issue are they actually having? And what relation does that have to what they're doing? what they're saying they can do or can't do. In my case, I really wasn't saying that there's anything I couldn't do based on my mental health, which is a significant difference from Osaka. Osaka was saying, I'm having depression. I really don't want the pressure. I'm going to step away because I can't perform or take the, the scrutiny or magnifying glass with what I'm going through. Mine was a complete 180 degrees from that. I was saying, look, I have anxiety but I can play, I can do everything you ask me to do. I just want us to have an understanding about this, this topic, an open dialogue. And I'd like it to be in writing because everything else in our industry is in writing. So it was more of a, a business. Um, How much money did that cost you? A couple hundred million. Couple hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. not a lot of money. It's just, just a couple just hundred million. Dollars. I mean, if you would have, yeah, yeah, if you would have stayed in the league for a decade and got a second yeah. contract and a max contract, five hundred million. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, likability, commercial, com you know, all of it, endorsements. So say that. low two hundred. Just, just for the people that don't understand Royce's story, and we'll get into a lot of it. Yeah, you were billed as sort of a next LeBron type of, right. like if you're going to lead your, you were a power forward who also played point guard. Right, LeBron esque, right, six eight, strong. Court vision, rebound, pass, score, dominate in the fourth quarter. Like when you're saying these numbers, a couple hundred million, a half a billion, if you would have lived up your potential, you're actually not being uh, facetious with these numbers. Yeah. No, not at all. So, so, so for, you, know, you know what it is for me? Let me explain to you what it is for me. So I have, a, I have an internal... Uh, uh, you, what do you call it? There's a, a good pair of good people angel, sitting here. Angel, you know, you got angel. all these guys that are saying. Yeah. So one is sitting here saying, "Stop bitching and making excuses and kind of make it work," yeah. and the other one's saying, that, "Dude, understand him. He's going through challenges, right?" And I, I tend to lean towards the guy that says, "Stop bitching." That's the guy I listen to the most. Me okay. Too. Mm -hmm. I tend to listen. To, I don't know if I'm making any sense or not. I tend to are. lean towards the guy that's like, "Dude, listen." You think you're going through hard times? How about the guys that are in, in, in war right now that are not missing their birthday of their newborn baby or, yeah. you know, they yeah. just lost a best friend, lost a limb, and you're sitting here worried about you're about to lose a half a million dollars of your life savings? Grow up. You know, you're living in America. You're the luckiest man alive. So that's where I lean towards 90% of the time. Okay, so now here's what happened when I was going through this process. I'm curious. So I go through different doctors, and 99% of doctors recommended what? 
Drugs. Hey, take this. Hey, take, I'm like, no, nah, I, I want a long-term solution. Like even right now, my back, my lower back on the right side challenges. I go to a chiropractor and I always ask the chiropractor, give me a long, like what is it I can do one time and it's gone, right? And they'll say, listen, sorry, man, that's just not going to happen. You're six, four, you know, six, four and a half. You got military knees, your lower back. You were in the army for a few years. You carry that weight. This is something you're going to have to handle for the rest of your life. Okay. So eventually I went to one guy and he recommended me a book. It was like a 60-page book. And I read this book and he explained depression and anxiety in the simplest way possible to control your imagination. And here's all it was. And, and it's simplified because at any point I was feeling I went to that state. He said, anytime you're depressed, you're spending a lot of time living in the past. Anytime your anxiety and panic is high, you're spending way too much time living in the future. He said, try to live as much in the current as possible on what you can do. That is the best state to be. So if you catch yourself, your brain or your mind is taking you a little, oh my God, I, I should have done this. I regret doing that. Dude, you're going to get depressed. Come back to the present. And so I'm like, what if something happens? What if there's this? What if there's a totally get it? You know, you're, you're visionary. You're living in the future. That's good. Go there every once in a while to get excited or to kind of prepare and anticipate. But try to come as much to the present as possible. So for me, sometimes when I see this and a player or an athlete or, a, or somebody that's running and they say, oh, that, that, that was a lot of pressure on me and I was going through this, I was going through that. Yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, that's right. It's supposed to create pressure. You know, right. my kid the other day were at MGM, Dylan. Last year he didn't want to speak on stage, <laughs> and he's like, "No, I don't want to go. I don't want to go." And this kid's got a great voice. He's charming. Everybody likes him. Nelly, the first time he saw uh, Dylan, he says, "So you look like an athlete." He says, "Yeah, I'm a shortstop." Nelly's like, "I was also a shortstop. My mom was a third baseman. I wanted to be a third baseman, but I ended up being a shortstop." He looks at my oldest son. He says, "What about you? Do you play baseball?" No. He says. You look more like the kid that's going to buy the baseball team for your brother to play on, right? So anyway, so this event, I keep telling Dylan, you got to get on stage. No, daddy, I'm not. You got to get on stage. No, I'm not. All of a sudden, I'm interviewing Shaq. Shaq and Dylan hit it off. Like Shaq's telling Dylan, let's go to the club. It's hilarious. And hilarious. Shaq, Shaq decides to come and sit next to me. This is the first time this has ever happened. The entire interview I'm doing in front of uh, 10,000 people in attendance, he's sitting right here to my left. And then later on when I'm interviewing the kids, he decides to come up on stage. And he actually answers the question. And it's like, that was so hard. That was so hard. I said, how do you feel now? Dad, I didn't think it was that hard after I did it, right? So that is, there's certain things in life that's supposed to give us a little bit of anxiety. No doubt. It's supposed to give us the challenge. So sometimes, how do you as an individual at this age, that you've gone through it in many different ways, and, and there's doctors that deal with public speaking. There's doctors that deal with acting and cameras on you that some can't handle there's doctors that deal with you know political leaders that are getting out there like that one guy that couldn't he would stutter they made a movie after the guy and the doctor was trying to get him to stop stuttering the guy from uk what's the guy's name the the oh the king's speech uh, the king's speech, speech that he would stutter there are many different forms of it from all the people papers books you've read what's been the best solution that you've learned and has anything worked with to the point that today you can travel without being afraid Without having that anxiety. Faith in God. Faith in God. Yep. Yeah, my anxiety at 16 was was unresolved spiritual angst. It was spiritual, right? And I didn't know it at the time, but that's what it was. It, it, even, you know, despair, angst, these things are not, you know, new ideas. They're, they're, they're um, age-old 
tried and tested in the in the philosophical realm. And these things have been pulled apart, and um, you know, my Christian my Christian faith has has given me the best solution, um, an antidote to the anxiety. And once once I was able to clarify um, my, my spiritual path, let's say, or or my spiritual standing and, and my faith as an adult, uh, the anxiety greatly resolved. Now now I do think that there are uh, rightful situations for one to be anxious too. And I don't think people should try and rid themselves of all anxiety, despair is another issue completely. The natural. They're talked about in the same sense, despair and anxiety, but they're really quite different, right? And and they 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 can be anxiety and depression can be comorbid, but the the fundamental mechanism of both are, are different. Like you said, one is being in the past and one is, is, is living in the future, so to speak. There's a rightful reason to be anxious about the future in many cases. There's a rightful reason to be cautious and, and vigilant um, about your immediate surroundings, but about uh, um, you know the, the, the world or the path you see in front of you. Despair is a whole nother deal. Despair comes from you being afraid of the inevitable doom of dying, right? And a lot of people have uncontrolled, unconstrained despair because they have no faith. And when the hearing that that was um, you got Rogan and and uh, the guru talked about this, when your idea of heaven collapses, all you have is the here and now. Well, if all you have in the here and now is the here and now, you either become kind of nihilistic um, or or kind of hands off about the idea of death and well, it doesn't matter. I, I don't care about anything. That's how you deal with that despair. Or you become really anxious about the, the great unknown after you leave this, this, this realm, this phase. So. And when you know what that hope is and you know where to place it, you, you now have a hope in a certain future and that hope in a certain future gives people assurance. And that assurance is what helps cancel the anxiety and you, you have to fight your humanness every day on a spiritual level to spin that around. <laughs> Otherwise you do end up in despair. And I've, I've always seen despair as like an absence of hope. Yep. So despair is like the pit, you know, I was in the pit of despair. I felt no hope, but spiritual gives you a target destination and it gives you a certainty in the spiritual voice that's no in question you, about led it. by the Holy yeah. Spirit, which gives you assurance, which gives you comfort, which is what gets POWs, if you've read about the Christian POWs in Vietnam, yep. that they got through things that other POWs couldn't at the emotional level, not the physical torture. Physical torture, going to break my arm, break your arm, it's going to happen. But the emotional side of it. Which the... Which the which the liberals and the communists and the, the atheists and the, the Satanists make sure to keep away from all of their discussions around religion, right? You, you, know, you, know, what, you know what the thing is with, with me? With great skill, they keep it away. That's right. By the, by the way, you know what the biggest thing is with me and faith? Here's the biggest thing with me and faith. When I sit down and I have a debate with anybody about faith, okay, you can go and do the mathematical debate, right? And it's like, you know, we can talk God and we cannot talk God. One of the biggest factors of having faith is to control your imagination. Anybody I know that typically has a lot of anxiety or panic, they have a very strong imagination, but they can't control, okay? And it's let loose. And this imagination goes to places that could be dark, scary, whatever it is. Yeah, you see shadows everywhere. 
You see shadows everywhere. Yeah, you know, you know, I got four kids. One has a lot of nightmares. One doesn't have any nightmares. The one that has a lot of nightmares, the most creative mind imagination. And the other one's like, no, nah, I got to get the job done. It's a very interesting uh, uh, mindset on how this thing works. But once you get a hold of your imagination and you can have some sort of a faith that the future looks bright, people want to be around that. And that gives you some peace of mind. No, no matter what, everything's going to be un- un- under control. I'm going to do whatever I can do, but whatever I can't do, man, I got to have faith to see there's nothing I can do about it. If you don't have faith, how are you going to worry about your, your four kids? Your four kids, you don't have control of your four kids 95% of the time. They're out there doing whatever they want to do. You better believe in something that's watching over them because you're not going to be able to do that for them the hours that you're not around them. Anyways, let's get into the topics that we got today, okay? So the discussion of Royce White coming here, when we started speaking was because you decided to run up against, run against Ilhan. Ilhan. So tell us how you really feel about Ilhan for some that don't know your true feelings about her. Well, I think she's in on it. I think she's a globalist. I really, deep down, I think that she's a security state asset. I ask myself who got out of Somalia in the 90s. And I grew up in Minneapolis, so I'm very familiar with the Somali community. Growing up in public school, I grew up with a bunch of Somali kids. Um, and, and have many friends, you know, growing up that, that were Somali, um, loyal friends, good people. Um, so I'm not saying anything about Somalians in, in a general sense, but when I think about who got out of Somalia, it's the same people that we left behind in Afghanistan. They were people that helped us when we were there. Uh, and her father uh, is, is rumored to have been um, a, a rebel during the time when we took people out of Somalia. And a lot of her uh, sentiments and actions line up with that. I mean, who do, who do we think can just go to Kashmir in the middle of a, a geopolitical tinderbox that, that's happening right there and uh, beat with not only the new prime minister of, of Pakistan, but the former prime minister of Pakistan with no government clearance, with no help from the State Department? Well, first of all, it's a lie that she didn't get help from the State Department, but even with the help from the State Department in that sense, in a covert manner, that's a security state operation in many regards. And so, you know, she she poses herself as this democratic socialist or, you know, this this socialist or far leftist, women's rights activists, racism protector, whatever you want to whatever you want to say, whatever, you know, whatever day it is. Um, but really, they're running a scam. And I saw it and it offended me because I'm from the community and our representation should represent people. Um, and, and the biggest scam is is what I saw coming down the hatch with the NBA, right? And not to go backwards, but to, to, to encapsulate and end my NBA story, my, my anxiety was really existential. My anxiety was to say that there's a global corporate community and that the NBA is a watering hole for a global corporate community. They're like the sine qua non of globalism. You were saying that back then? I, or? Oh, yeah, go pull it up. I mean, you, you pull up the Sports Illustrated articles. I'm saying this is a global corporate community. This isn't just a basketball league. This is every industry in the entire world from here to Beijing represented in, in a financial interest. And when they say mental health is not important, they're saying the human condition isn't important. And it was a pretext for their partners, their corporate partners, such as big tech, to be predatory around the human psychology, to weaponize dopamine against the average person. And that is what they've done. And the NBA knew it back then, but not only the NBA, their Wall Street hedge fund co-conspirators, overlords, they knew it 20 years ago. 
right? And, and so, you know, that's that rightful angst that kind of gets woven in and misrepresented where it's like, oh, you're just a kid who is a prima donna. You want special, you want special accommodations. You want to be treated differently than everybody. And, and that's, that's why you're asking for this. And no, no, the, the reason why I'm asking for it is much, much deeper than most people wake up in the morning, make their coffee, check the morning paper and look at the stats, maybe bet by noon, want to deal with. And it's that absence of, of wanting to deal with it that, that, that people like Ilhan capitalize on. They exploit that. How does somebody like that get elected? Um, lies, help from the mainstream media. Um, also, you know, the... the uh, Localized identity politics. She was sold to the average Somali that says, hey, a Somali-American, just like you, achieving this next mm-hmm. step to actually represent a constituents because there is no yeah. there's no american race the way there is a german or a french person we're from yeah. everywhere didn't she almost lose like by two or three thousand votes tyler didn't she almost uh, it was a close race it was close it was a the, close yeah, race but that's the way yeah. they sold it but they to your point it. that's maybe well, on the initial election but she's been reelected how many times three times no the look you get- so like at, at some point the people in minneapolis minnesota are gonna have to all right we either like this person or we don't i'm no fan of ilhan omar but She's a representative. She's not a senator. The people in her district have to keep supporting her or not. Let's get one thing straight. I just ran to become the United States congressman from our 5th congressional district. I lost in a primary by 1,000 votes to a uniparty, globalist, Republican establishment candidate. Mm-hmm. You get the government you deserve. That's the reality. You get the government you deserve. And increasingly, we like our politics with French fries. And Ilhan gives you everything that you need mm-hmm. to feel good about your politics with French but fries. But isn't that just plain politics, Royce? Like, for instance, for you, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. you've aligned yourself with Steve Bannon. Yeah. Yes or no? Yes. So how palatable is that to the people of Minnesota? Maybe if you're in Alabama, using them as an example, hell yeah, let's get behind Steve Bannon, let's do it. Yeah. What's the you know, sentiment in Minnesota, a very liberal-ish yeah. type state. Super liberal. Who, yeah. all right. Or Royce, city, the outstate. Yes, is. well, in <laughs> every city in America, literally every major city votes blue, most rural votes red, not even an opinion. Minnesota, not Hawaii, is the most liberal state in the union. Minneapolis, specifically. But when you align yourself with Steve Bannon, just that name alone, people are going to be like, yeah, I don't know about that, Royce White. Sorry about that, buddy. Well, even worse than that, they don't say they don't know. They go, they just write it off. They write me off. That's my point. But, and I think that's... So when you lose by a 1,000 votes, doesn't that come back to bite you in the ass? No, 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 no. See, no, absolutely not. Tell us why. Sacred honor. And I'm going to keep going back to it mm-hmm. as, as, as many times as is necessary because this is the great crisis of politics. Mm-hmm. Whatever I need to say, wherever I am to win the game is the ultimate goal. And when you play the game like that, it's kind of an American or postmodern business practices. Win by any means. It, we, we have to win. We have to continue. We have to move on. We have to go upward and onward. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's egregious for, for morality or ethics or ideas. And that's why most people, especially in politics, have betrayed their ideas across time because their idea is I need to say whatever it is that will appeal to a person to get me elected when really your leaders, your elected officials should stand for things, things they really believe in, things that are true first and foremost, but things they really believe in and then be able to convince you that you should believe in them. 
I don't, I don't know about that. I have a hard time with that. And let me explain to you why, why uh, I'll challenge that a little bit and you can disagree with me. Yeah. So in business, uh, I've lost a lot in the last you know, 21 years of being in the financial industry. It's a very, very competitive. I've lost a lot of clients to other companies. I've lost agents, I've lost employees, I've lost contracts, and you know, it was very easy to say, well, you know, in the industry today, uh, you know, it's because I'm Armenian. It's because I'm from Iran. One time I lost a contract to a big company because they were concerned I was Armenian and, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? There was a couple Armenian insurance frauds going on in Glendale, and they said, you're part of that community. I said, no, here's where I'm at. This is my business is this model. So, well, we had a bad experience because we had a $2 million chargeback. I said, no, I said, I want you to judge me for who I am. I don't want you to judge me for what my ethnicity is, ethnicity is and let's see what we can do. And I went and compete. And I kept their contract. We're best, best friends till today. The same people that were going to drop my contract 11 years ago, they had me at their retirement ceremony speaking amongst five people, and I was second to the closing speaker, and the closing speaker was his best friend of 26 years. So for me, the, the challenge I have is to, to say I have to you know compromise my values to win I'd much rather say my messaging has to improve, my ability to go out there and shake more hands has to improve, my ability to market better has to improve. I have to out-market you, out-message you, out-work you, even if you're cheating, and there's a lot of people that cheat in the marketplace, in business, in media, and politics, definitely more in politics than other areas. Yeah. You gotta get more creative with the messaging to win because that, that, that angle, and again, this is my uh, opinion, yeah. that gets the voter to say, well, why vote anyways? Because we don't stand a chance against the globalists. Why do it anyway? That, that's actually the wrong messaging because it doesn't get the crowd to come out. For example, like right now what happened with Trump? Okay. Right now what happened with Trump? For example, th- this is the uh, uh, brilliant marketing of him and where he's at. Love him, hate him, do whatever you want to do with the guy. Do you know how they're going to use this here? What that happened with FBI? Here's how to market it. They're going to get their base to show up like never before, okay? That's how they're going to use it. Because in the world of politics, it's, it's definitely the dirtiest amongst all, okay? Because you can manipulate a lot and get away with it. You can't really do that a lot in business and get away with it because there's laws. In politics, there's not really laws. You just got to kiss the right person's ass and, you know, <laughs> you do can what lie. You can lie and just get lie. away with a lot of yeah. different things. In business, you're eventually going to get caught. When you lie too often. It's just it's just what ends up happening if you do that. Bad business. Yeah, it's bad business. And insurance. You can send a bunch of premium, but if it doesn't stay on the books, you're eventually going to be you know, having that reputation. So for me, I, I, I want to agree with you, but I want to also challenge you to say, hey, man, if I got to go back, I got to change my uh, strategy, marketing. We got to have better team. We got to shake more hands. I got to build a bigger pipeline today. I got to get better endorsements. Maybe Bannon is good strategically. Maybe it's not a good public strategic thing for me to have out there. Maybe I got to have him as somebody I talk to on the phone on a daily basis, but publicly the people that, so that's the only thing I would say with some of those things, because if you're really going to go do the politics thing, you have to know, like I remember one time I had a guy named Casey Bell. He was in the military, total playboy, great with the ladies. And one day I'm 17, 18. I'm like, I just can't stand the games. These girls are playing. He says, what are you talking about? They're playing so many games. He says, you got to play the games back. Mm-hmm. It's part of it. It's a game. No. Okay, but but by the way, not from, no. Not from the standpoint well, you don't play of games. N- I not, don't agree. not from the standpoint of 
not from the standpoint of manipulation. What he's talking about is they're playing hard to get. That's part of it. You got to figure out a way to still woo them. You got to figure out a way to still persuade them. That's the part. And by the way, that's politics. Yes. No. No, I strongly disagree with this. Okay. Tell me why. There are sacred honor are the ideas and the values that you live by but are willing to die for. You have a radical loss of sacred honor in this country um, and people around the world. And as soon as you, you know, when you say out message, I mean, and I, and I told our, our delegates this in, in the CD5 uh, um, convention where they endorse a candidate. Um, if you guys want to become Democrats to win in the deep blue place, you don't really win. You, <laughs> I mean, you don't win if you become a Democrat to get a Democrat vote. You have to convert a Democrat to conservative ideas or liberals to conservative ideas. If you become a liberal to win, you're just a mouthpiece. You're just no one's saying that though. But, but no, but this, yeah. but but this is what I'm saying. There are fundamental ideas, yeah, that didn't fall on or didn't fall to a lack of messaging. There are real contention about ideas, and because we live in a democracy, we play this retail game with the people and say, "Well, how can I get the widest net?" But there are some things that we should have never compromised on that somebody has to stand up and say, just, just no, absolutely not. And in a place like Minnesota, that's um, very moderate conservatives, even on the Republican side, abortion was that issue. I could have went door to door and affirmed abortion, baby killing, and I would have easily got another 500 That's not what I'm saying though. But, but when you start down the path of modifying a message based on what people would like to hear, as soon as it ventures away from being truth, things that you know to be true or, or things that you believe in, yeah. you're already down the, you, you, become, you become a product of whatever the, the most powerful leveraging dog is out there in the yard. And that's how, this, that's how we lost this country. So I'll give you an idea. Okay. Do you know what life insurance used to be called? Death insurance. Death insurance. Mm-hmm. So would you rather buy life insurance or death insurance? Wouldn't matter to me. Okay, but the average yeah, person is going to buy insurance. Though. So maybe death not insurance to you. Has a creepy morbid but if you feel go, you it. go to a family and say, "Hi, I'd like to buy you some death insurance today versus mm-hmm. life insurance." Right? Okay. So you know, uh, uh, anti-abortion or pro-life? What's better? Exactly. It it's the same be, thing. It used to be. It wasn't you know, called pro-life it's back the in the day. Same thing. So they anti-abortion or pro-life? You have to know that's messaging. It's and the same marketing. thing. Okay. Look, so, I just came from, I'm, with all due respect, Yeah, I just came from the political arena where these ideas are discussed. It's not a messaging issue. These are fundamental ideas that people are yay or nay on on the other side. The problem is the people on the, yeah. the, the, people on the good guy's side, let's say, are wishy-washy about their stance. So it allows half of them to always get pulled over this is the Overton window shift that's happened in this country and why liberalism holds the day. And everybody looks around like, how did these crazy liberals and these ideas take hold? And yeah, but, but, then, but then that becomes the part conservatives of conservatives failed. Let me push you and then push me back as well. Okay. So say you win with a pro-life, okay? Say you win with a pro-life message in a district and where, wherever you're going in Minnesota. Okay, say you win. Say I'm pro-abortion and I'm pro-choice. Can I coexist in your district or do I have to leave you? 
um, you could coexist if you don't want to kill babies. What if what if what if for me I'm pro-choice? Well, then I mean that's no, just no. So then, so then I have to leave your place, leave leave the district you're in. No, you could not have uh, sex and have to get an abortion. That's an option. Right, but what you I'm, could even be on birth control. You could track your ovulation great. schedule. There's all kinds of things you could do before saying I have to pack up and leave. So how about how about if you're somebody that you believe in low regulation, okay? Yeah. And I believe in high regulation. Mm-hmm. You believe in low taxes. I believe in high taxes. Let's just say, but do you want to also win me over long enough where you want you can convert me, or do you want to get rid of me? What would you rather do? Um, I think right now we're at war and we're, okay. we're in a crisis, so. We need to clear the smoke first. Okay. And sort out the details. So under normal circumstances, different. Um, but but right now we're at war. So. Yeah. So so I want to believe you. And by the way, I think if we get to the point where it's war and all of that, and you know, there's a part of it that I don't disagree on what the FBI is doing. What? No, we're at the, war. When they put eighty-seven, when the IRS is going to commission. 87,000 we're yeah. at war yeah. with our government I mean that could be an interpretation of what it is I don't disagree with yeah. you but then again if you are your base is a percentage and the other side is a percentage 44, 46, whatever you want to do with it mm-hmm. your, your job is to win the 12 your job is not to change the 44 right? you, you know whatever their but side you is. have to win them with the truth sure, the NBA's the, the, and go back to the NBA yeah the, they're a prime example. This is why I had such. This is why I was so offended by the NBA and their whole outlook on the world. They're chameleonic with their politics. This is wokeism. This, in effect, is what wokeism is. You think the NBA really cares about the LGBTQ? Now, mind you, LGBTQism is is a is a tenet of the the left and liberalism in America today. But at bottom, the, Adam Silver doesn't care about the LGBTQ. He doesn't have a deep, profound uh, care in that topic. The audience that he's either um, mapped out or or has imagined in his head, the concept in his head, that's what matters to him. The the black people who create the culture of of basketball and. You know the, the 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 nature of the swell of the game from a commercial aspect and a culture aspect. That's what he cares about. You think long, you think long term that works? Uh, no, no. Okay, so the market's going to decide. But, but but no, the what I'm but that part to me is look at how much they tried to push BLM down everybody's That's throat. My point. But what, but it didn't work. NBA's ratings dropped dramatically that season. No, it did uh, work. No, it didn't it work. It didn't work because people still watch the NBA as though it has no cultural impact. Oh, yeah, my But those ratings gosh, in 2020 they, they plummeted. They got destroyed. destroyed. Yeah, Tucker Carlson would get up and show data and say, look what happened yeah. to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Him and Mark Cuban would get into it and look. you know, No, they got destroyed. The market said, we don't like it. We just want to watch they're, basketball. They're not, destroyed be- they're not destroyed because, w- one, the game – is 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 different than the commercials and the politics and the game is evolving the game is increasing young people more than ever are watching basketball at a higher frequency than ever in history on the internet sure. now they might not be tuning into the live games but the 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 trickle down of basketball content mm-hmm. is 10 degrees magnified than it was when i was a kid but, for but, whatever reason but you got to realize okay do you do you believe do you believe um Okay, do you what percentage of America you think has the ability to reason? <sighs> I'm being serious. It's I mean, like I, what, I'm trying. What? <laughs> what? 
What percentage? I don't, don't want to be. I'm not trying to. You know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the it's American totally people. Fine. It's totally fine. All I'm. Oh, this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. We have been corrupted, misguided, misled, sure. misrepresented, um, strategically manipulated, philosophically. Yeah. We don't teach philosophy in schools. We don't teach people to critically think. Makes it easy to create this tacit sort of fake political arena where it's political theater. And then you get your puppets come in and they kind of just ping to all of the p talking points that are already set in a low resolution philosophical discussion. And it's like, if you're a candidate or you're somebody who really wants to lead people in a time of need, you can't adhere to any of that. You, you, you can't play any of that because you'll never talk about the real issues. And this is why for me as a candidate in CD5, I came in at globalism, uh, the Fed, the Church of LGBTQ, abortion, God, and my opponent, my primary opponent, did exactly what, what, what you're saying that she should do strategically to win. And she got up there and said, all of that's red meat talking points for the base. That's that Steve Bannon stuff. We can't win in a, in a deep blue district like that. What would make people think that she would actually represent a conservative viewpoint or, or, or values if she were to be elected? What would make a Democrat think that she would represent yeah, Democrats but, 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 even but, but, if she okay, were to be elected? Are you a fan of Trump? Um, I, are you a supporter? On, on, of yes. This? Okay. Yes. So what did he run on? Trade and, and, uh, trade and immigration. Uh, did he run on pro-life? No. No. And that was an error. But 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 wait a minute. <laughs> that was an error. But but no, it's not an error. No, not, it was. Well, let me let me challenge you. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge you here. Yeah. Okay. So you're an April 10th baby, right? Yeah. Okay. My dad's an April 10th baby, yeah. and I love April babies. I hire April babies. Okay. okay. To me, they're very uh, true believers in what they're in, and they stick to it. Right. Okay. I lived with that man for 43 years. Okay. So it's a lot of strong values that he has. Okay. So Trump ran on what? He ran on the wall. Okay. He ran on trade China. China. He Lock ran on up. swamp. Okay, all three so, were so. So look, look at this guy on what he ran on, and you would have liked for him to run on pro life. You would have liked for him to run on faith, God. You would you would have liked for him to run on all those things. Absolutely. Okay, let me ask you a question. What just happened to Roe v. Wade? Um, we took a good step in the right direction. How did that happen? The Supreme Court. Stood up and, and grew a. Who, who picked those three Supreme Court? Donald Trump. Would he have done that if his messaging was hardcore only pro life? He wouldn't have won. So, so, so the message I'm trying to make is some because it's all pure strategy. So the strategy isn't that he he may have done something impossible. Three. It drove them insane. They lost their minds. That may be the single biggest victory a president's ever had. People today are sitting there saying, holy shit, I thought being a president mattered. No, it's Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Because you got you got 6-3 now, 5-4, whatever it's going to end up being for how many years? Are you kidding me? So maybe power to him for strategy. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying compromise your values. I'm not saying compromise what you believe in. I'm just saying messaging is where I think, like, for example, today. Okay, Republicans who cry. Uh, and at the same time. Who cry? Yeah, Republicans who cry. 
Like okay. John Boehner type of cry? There's, but there's a no, no. There's a lot of no, no. Left, right, anywhere you go, you go Boehner cry. Mm-hmm. You go, uh, uh, you know, MAGA. You go uh, Lincoln Project. You go. Uh, uh, whoever you go to, who's like sick. cry, like cry foul, or actually no, crying complaint, tears. Complaint. Okay, complain. Gotcha, okay. gotcha, gotcha. Well, listen, isn't Forbes for sale? Isn't Forbes for sale for six thirty? How many Republicans have gone and made an offer of four hundred million dollars to see if they can buy Forbes? If somebody on the left buys it, you deserve everything they do when they announce Woman of the Year award. Forbes magazine last year. International Woman of the Year Award. You know who they give it to? Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Clinton. You deserve it. You tell me you can't spend $400 million to buy Forbes? Every time these media companies that go on sale, why don't you go buy them? Uh, props to Daily Wire for what they're doing, which is, Absolutely. you know, the the, the uh, uh, Shapiro. Uh, Shapiro and his guy. Jordan props, to, yeah. props to Seth um, Dylan. Seth Dylan, Dylan with Babylon B. B. Props to these guys that are doing what they're doing. Tim Poole, props to, there's a lot of these names that we can give to, they're going out there pushing the envelope. But if you don't like that your argument's not being heard, do something about it. And by the way, the doing something about it, Royce, my opinion, is a 20-year solution. It's not a one-year. It takes 20 years. So put, put your money where your mouth is. Not you, anybody in the market that's got the millions. Or oh, you really care about America? You really care about your conservative beliefs? They're not. They're not real conservatives. Then, then that's the problem. Yeah, no, and I, yes. no, I, no, I agree. With yeah, hundred percent. No, most of my campaign has been to speak out against the Republican establishment or the conservative movement as a whole, from an ideological standpoint, even from a strategic standpoint. There, there's no way that liberalism has run off with a with a lion's share control of the mainstream media without the conservative or prominent conservatives or powerful or or conservatives that are in a position to actually affect these industries there's no way that they did that um by chance it didn't just happen they were in on it they were always in on it. but that is the uniparty so for me to not be able to say uniparty in the public square out of fear of people not knowing what it is or comprehending it as they would a a, a more palatable issue uh, uh really strikes against the deficit that I see in, in time to solve this issue. And it may be 20 years, but then we got to get started with the truth. One million percent. Yeah. One million. We and, need, tr- and Trump should have yeah. ran Trump should have ran on yeah. pro-life. Yeah. I, he, he, not singularly, but I do believe that as a leader of a movement, um, it, it is your duty to to hold and plant flags and be able to merge the message together mm-hmm. in a way that you could go back to later. Even Even though he didn't, he did more for the pro-life movement the last 30 years than any other president who ran on pro-life True. did. So that, that's the part about, uh, I, I don't, who, who is the, True. who's the Democratic uh, strategist behind closed doors? Who is the Democratic strategist? Tom, who is the biggest, like, who do they call for strategy behind closed doors? I, I think there, Socrates, still is James Carville. So he's still James think Carville, Carville. You think is running the it would show? Be the raging game? No, no, no. I, I, I think you're asking me about Demi- is is that Biden strategist or is he, he Obama, Ron Klain, yeah, Susan is, Rice? I still think James Carville is. James Carville. Who do you say? Who do you say? With respect to the BizDoc, I don't think James Carville is pulling any strings over there. I mean, maybe under Clinton, but I still any Susan? Obama remnant, Susan Who Rice, say? David Axelrod. I think it's yeah. Axelrod. Okay, who's on the right? Who's the strategist behind closed doors for the right? Donald Trump. Period. End of story. I don't, I don't think I, he's consulting no, with anybody. I'm asking a real question. Yeah. Who's the strategist? It's the Carl Roves of the world. People Bannon. have to, uh, that's people have to keep in mind. 
You're going to lose with that. The, the, yeah. the Republican Party is not behind Donald Trump. It's all a facade. Okay, these people yeah. do not trust Donald Trump. You maybe have three people in Congress. You're saying like the Mitch people. McConnells of the world, those yeah, types of people. The, even no, the Kevin people McCarthy, tr- even the Kevin McCarthy's, no. the Bill Barr's. Who, who is the most, uh, uh, who's the guy that understands the Lincoln Project community and understands MAGA and is able to reason and give you straight down the middle counsel? Who's that guy? Is there anybody? Is that a Tucker? Who is Tucker that Carlson, guy? Carlson, maybe. Who I would be that so. guy that can sit? Do you know what I'm asking? So it's, it's, I think that's Certainly the challenge. Certainly not the Dick Cheney, Liz Cheney, no, Adam no. Kinzinger. Zero. They're all Anthony Democrats. Gonzalez Zero. All I don't Democrats. know if they're all Democrats. They're no, just they not are. MAGA. No, yeah. no. Liz Cheney is a Democrat. Royce, you can't say that. <laughs> Her father ran the Republican Party for double and they were decades. De- and they were Democrats. And that's what people are feeling. You, can, to you can say that they're more closely no, aligned no, to Democrats. No, no, what I'm saying is there's what, nothing about what I'm saying Dick is Cheney people, that screams Democrat. Everything screams. Look at it. He's a globalist. He's a he's a raging neocon military industrial complex shill. He was matter of fact, he's not a shill. He is the. You're not wrong complex. about that portion, but that doesn't mean he aligns uh, on, uh, not on the liberal side of things. No, 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 no. The neocon side of things and the warhawk side what of I'm things and the military industrial complex. They purport themselves to be. Just because you say you're a thing doesn't make you it. Just like because I say I'm a Christian doesn't make me one. My actions have to add up, and more so my ideas and base have to add up. And and Mm -hmm. Kissinger was a Democrat. Nixon was a Democrat. LBJ was a Republican. This is the uniparty scam that the American people have been hoodwinked on. And they get caught up voting instead of voting candidates who actually speak to real fundamental issues. And, and that's the great scam. That's the great retail politics game that has been been casted upon us. And it really undermines the, the idea that we live in a, a representative uh, republic or uh, democracy at all, because we mm-hmm. don't. We live in a we live in a shadow shell game of of uh, of, of faux faux teams, fake teams, fake ideologies. Liz Cheney's a Democrat mm-hmm. signs up. Lines up on the Republican side when it says go. She's the outer bastion of defense for the entire thing. What do you think Joe Walsh is? <laughs> do you know who that is? Yeah, I, I, I think. Because uh, don't you dare call him a Democrat, Royce Way. He will come at you like a spider monkey. Look, I, I mean, Liz is a little bit more clear cut. Is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. There are some people you could pick out, but all I'm yeah, saying yeah, but there's is, a lot of Republicans out there who have quote unquote left the Republican Party. Joe Walsh being one of them, yeah. who will literally walk out of a podcast unless you have to like embrace them if you call them a Democrat. They're just saying I am no longer Republican, but I am not a Democrat. So people don't want to be labeled certain things. Yeah, when I say they're a Democrat, let's say liberal, right? Neo liberals, neo cons. Um, these the Liz Cheney's of the world pretend like they're conservatives mm-hmm. but there's nothing conservative about about their stance on anything they're chameleons number one they serve themselves in their own career agenda in place in the thing but you know secondly they greatly they greatly serve the movement over that mm-hmm. way to the left okay can we can now, we get into some can i just ask you one quick yeah, question because this is, this is and then more, we're going to get into Salman rush in iran go ahead the whole argument that you guys are having i'm just kind of going back in my head to a um how to that you've done and I've discussed this kind of stuff before is whether you should pursue money or your passion. You've done a, a board episode about this, right? Yeah. Money or yeah. passion. Yeah. Should you follow the money or should you follow the p- p- passion? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but clearly you followed more your passion than the money. You've given up 
close to $100 million, if not more. My question is, is it not better to follow the money, have $100 million plus in the bank, then go to create change versus being worth whatever it is and try to fundraise and try to play that game and not have any money in the war chest and then try to win come from behind victory. Like, I, I don't know what your resolution was with that video, but I, I think you recall following the money, not the passion. And then once you get the money, you could work on your passion. That's Am a, I wrong a, on that? That's a, that's a, a rational question. one life. That's a, that's a one life uh, position there. That means it's only one life here on earth and you need to modify it and go right. back and forth. Because exactly the, right. the core belief is what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you Lose forfeit your, soul. your very soul. Exactly. So a one life, a one life perspective said, this is it. And I need to optimize what's at the table right here. That's a rational point of view for folks to take. Now, I happen to think that it has severe eternal consequences, but you could say, this is the playing field and these are my rules, so I'm gonna optimize for that. You can. Uh, I happen to think that there's that there's a longer, more important play you know, in eternity that also dictates the playing field where I'm doing much for many and I choose not to optimize for myself at points along that because I want to do things th differently. What does that mean in English? I'm not being sarcastic. You went very deep with it. What does that mean? What should people follow? Their money or the passion? Uh, I, I the I, truth. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't work. You lost the election, bro. No, if you follow no, the no, money, no, it does. No, maybe you could have no, won no, the whoa, election. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. What what is no, he lost? When, when you think, I'm saying he's think, following the truth, and that's righteousness. No, that's great. No, there is only righteousness when you have faith. And that's where this country has lost itself. And this is the, this is the fundamental issue where many well-intended, well-meaning, good people mm -hmm. have been roped into the very conspiracy and corruption that they say they oppose. But they're roped in because you. He, what he's saying is that there's a time horizon. Mm -hmm. There's a time horizon uh, that all of our actions are taken into yeah, account. You're 31 for. years old, right? How much? Like you're not 51. You're not 81. You're 31 years old right. in the prime of your political career. Okay, Rhett, you're just kind of getting going. You would have a lot better chances to do what you want to do with a hundred million dollars in the bank versus a million dollars in the bank. That's ultimately what I'm saying. It's not like you're some old man well, who's What would I have to do to get the hundred million? I don't know if you would have maybe worked with the league a little bit better. You could have played in the league. <laughs> Work with the league, the the shill for China, the shill for the CCP. Yeah, the but this is my godless, point. Godless, tyrannical regime in the in, I'd in rather have human history. I'd rather have a hundred million from in the, the bank. CCP. Whatever it is. No, it's see, and that's I'd rather the have a hundred no, million in the that's bank. That's a big problem. And then it's not a whatever it is. Come out and speak out against it now. It's not whatever it is. I'm not taking a hundred million dollars from Satan for him to trick me into thinking I'm speaking who's out Satan? against him. Like, what do you mean? You're saying from Satan. Who's Satan? He he says the NBA is. By, by the, the way, NBA is the whole, Satan. The whole the whole regime. They're all they're all openly anti God. They're not even hiding it. They're saying it right out in the open. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in God, you're either a conspiracy conspiracy theorist, a quack, or you're a white supremacist. I, I watch the NBA religiously. Know, no pun intended. I've never heard them you say that. You haven't seen it, but you're not sinking it across the liberal establishment media. They're all in on it together. You're the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, uh, Mother Jones, The Guardian, they're all in on it together. They're saying the, they have the exact same message. And the NBA stands back as this sort of, you know, unique mm -hmm. cog in that machine. And they go, well, we don't have to talk about God at all. 
but we're going to affirm all of the other anti-God movements, LGBTQ, BLM, women's right, whatever the other, you know, all of the other ones, but we just won't speak on God. But they're right there at the table with the CCP. They won't speak on the CCP. The CCP are locking up anybody who has faith. And they're not even shy about it. The Uyghurs, for sure. I mean, the Uyghurs is right out in the open. Mm-hmm. But the Christians, the, the Tibetans, the... I mean, what are we talking about? Who's Satan? They, they're old. I could see if they had a, a, a non-position on God. They're anti-God. And they're very abashed about it. The NBA, so why would I take $100 million from them to speak out against them? And do you actually think they would let me do that? If it wasn't... After you leave the league, you could do whatever you want. Well, what happens in that? What about... The, what, See, when you're a there's a lot of people out there who are going to be like, dude, I hear you. I understand. I know, you're and mor- they're the reason why we moral lost the country. Is, your moral no, compass that's is the reason why we lost this country. Right. That's the exact. Those people out there that would say, ah, oh, yeah, I know, man, but the hundred million, the money, the war, the 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 game of today must be won. They lost us the game of ten years down the road, thirty years ago. This was Kissinger. Kissinger could say the same thing. Oh, we went to China because the labor, the the, the unions pressed the market too hard and they made it unfair or, un, or hard for the American business to operate here in, in America we, fairly. So we opened up China. But wasn't that Richard Nixon, Republican? A Democrat. He Richard was, Nixon was a Democrat now. Yes. Holy shit, Royce. I, I maybe all the history I've learned is he ran completely as a backwards. Democrat before. Richard Nixon a, is a Democrat? He was a Democrat before. First of all, he was a Democrat before he became a Republican. I've never heard number this. one. Never heard this. I've always thought of Richard Nixon as a Republican president. Barry Goldwater was the real conservative. Mm-hmm. Nixon was the favorable, likable, more moderate. And where's Barry Goldwater centrist. in the history, in the annals of history? Uh, he was the forefather All of the time, conservative, the modern conservative movement. Yeah, he got wiped out. No, he didn't get wiped out. The same establishment that pushes gender theory today paints Barry Goldwater as an extremist, domestic terrorist, white supremacist. And that's exactly the game that's been run on the American... You have this concept, not you personally, but I'm saying, and many people do, have this concept that whoever holds the... It's real Machiavellian. It's whoever holds the sword has the power. But Christians don't believe that. We believe God has the power and the truth has the power across the iteration of games. Not So you could win today with lies. And I could die today in the pursuit of truth. But that's still winning. And when you, but you, when you don't have faith, you can't come to grips with that. And a lot of people who even say they have faith demonstrate how they don't when they say, I have to win today or what was the point? No, the point was there was a set of values and ideas and something that was right that you believed in that you were willing to live by and die for. But if you never start the dying for the good thing, mm-hmm. the bad folks have just get to run away with it. So what are you willing to die for? The truth. The truth. It's very simple. And what's the truth that, that we don't understand? Well, I think I said, and politically, I think there's a uniparty. Mm-hmm. Of people who have posed as one category, category, the other be a Democrat, Republican, but ultimately they've served in the interest of the political elites, and they've served in the interest of of uh, of, of a globalist agenda. And 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 they're saying that right out in the open too. You know, when they send down a House resolution that 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 um, suggests the military should be able to pursue and and persecute American citizens without congressional oversight in the name of fighting domestic terrorism um, or a pandemic, let's say, pandemic misinformation, we are being run by a foreign authority. 
we 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 have given over our rights and our sovereignty to a foreign governing body and it's it's not being hidden that's what's so frustrating is like these things that they're, they're so arrogant they're so confident in their position and the, the the position they've carved out of authority they don't even feel they have to really lie so it's not that they're not telling the truth so much as we the people don't want the burden of freedom we've given up our sovereignty we've given up our right we did it so when I go into my congressional district, I'm not going up to the door and bringing the moms and, 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 and kids out and giving them kisses and lollipops and slapping them on the butt because it'll help me win. I'm telling them the truth. The government you watch on TV that you have your complaints about exists because of you. That's the difference between me and most politicians, not only now, but throughout time. And that is the truth. We've traded our freedom for security and materialism. That's his truth. By the way, the one thing you got to respect about Royce, very, very obvious, you're a true believer. There's zero uh, breaking into uh, uh, his belief system. And l- l- let's get into some of these yeah. topics. As a sure, three, uh, 940, sure. we haven't had any topics yet. <laughs> okay, Salman Rushdie, uh, the author of Satanic Verses. So Salman Rushdie on the road to recovery after life-changing injuries sustained and stabbing the suspect accused of attacking and may have had contact with Iran. Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps. This is an insider story. Author Salman Rushdie is on the road to recovery after being stabbed roughly 10 times in an attack reports uh, say may be connected to the Iran's Revolutionary Guard. He was attacked Friday as he took the stage to give a lecture at Chattanooga Institution. Uh, I'm sorry, Chattanooga. Uh, Chattanooga uh, can you pronounce that for me, uh, Tyler? It's not Chattanooga, is it? Uh, Chattawaka, Chattawaka institution in New York. He sustained three stab wounds to the neck, four to the stomach, punctured to the right eye, chest, as well as a laceration on the right thigh. Hadi Mater, the 24-year-old accused of st- uh, stabbing, is sympathetic to the Shia extremism and may have ties to the Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps. 1989, Iran's cleric Khomeini issued a fatwa calling for Rushdie's assassination, claiming his book, The Satanic Versus a Magical Realism, Novel inspired by the life of Prophet Muhammad was against Islam, uh, the Prophet, and the Quran. And by the way, Iran claims it was not involved in the stabbing. Um, they made comments on it. The country's foreign minister spokesperson, Nasser Kanani, said in a briefing to journalists that Iran should not be accused of any involvement. We, in the incident of the attack on Salman Rushdie in the U.S., do not consider that anyone deserves blame and accusation except him and his supporters. Nobody has the right to accuse Iran in this regard. Iran has offered more than $3 million for anyone who kills Rushdie. A semi-official Iranian religious foundation raised a bounty for Rushdie in 2012 for $2.8 million to $3.3 million. And I believe Khamenei in 2017 and 2019 said that the fatwa was still on. So, Royce, any comments on this story? Please don't blame us. But the bounty is still out there. Where to, where to begin? Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yet and still our security state and um, the, the propaganda around it makes these situations in the Middle East, all of them, uh, very, very murky waters, you know, to, to understand who's playing what angle. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this is a... Adam, what are your thoughts on this? 
Look, uh, I learned about this term fatwa years ago. And uh, I mean, I'm just going to read the definition. A fatwa is a legal ruling on a point of Islamic law, a.k.a. Sharia law. We've heard that terminology before. Given by a qualified jurist in response to a question posed by a private individual judge or government. And if there's, you know, you use the word question. Salman Rushdie has definitely questioned Sharia law for sure. Okay. So a jurist issuing fatwas is called a mufti. And the act of issuing fatwas is called ifta. Fatwas have played an important role throughout Islamic history, taking on new forms of the modern era. Okay, the important role that it has taken on, we've seen that play out over the last few decades. Um, what's the magazine in Paris that basically did a cartoon mm-hmm. of the Prophet Muhammad? How many people ended up dead and murdered? So um, let's not forget who America still is on the world stage. There's a lot of authors, artists, speakers out there that cannot use their voice in whatever country they're in, especially in the Middle East, especially yeah. in Iran. Yeah. You can throw China into there and they come to America as a safe haven to use their voice. So here's a person who has been who has embraced America. I think he's from Indian descent, I want to say, Indian slash Iranian. And he's used um he's in lived in the United States so he could use his voice. And this is exactly what you know, you want to use like liberalism or what the traditional liberalism is. Come here and say what the hell ever you want to say. Yeah. I might not agree with you, but I defend your right to say it. So this is this is a disgusting act of the of fatwa, if you will. And by make no mistake, the Iranian government or um, the ayatollahs are very upset that this guy didn't finish the job. Tom, so, how about yourself? Well, uh Anybody who looks at the statement by Iran, you know, how can you not see through that? Um, You have no right. You have no legal right to blame us. But the bounty is still out there, folks. It's three million and it's rising. Anybody wants to contribute? Used to be two million and they've increased the bounty on his head. And I think you you look at the radicalization of young men. And here's a guy 24 years old. That is the age, you know. 16 to 24 is the age of where these clerics, you saw the uh, the London subway bombings, they traced it back to these clerics that found isolated Muslim young men and they radicalized them. And at 22, 23, 24, this is now your time. Here's your vest. Go to the subway and let's do it. Um, and it just, it's got all the fingerprints of that. And it's just, this is, this is, this is tragic for, it, it, I want to read a hardline story. So he, here's Iran's hardline newspaper praises Salman Rushdie's attacker. This is a Reuters story. The hardline Kahan newspaper, whose editor-in-chief is appointed by Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, wrote a thousand bravos to the brave and dutiful person who attacked the apostate and evil Salman Rushdie in New York, adding, the hand of the man who tore the neck of God's enemy must be kissed. The Asser Iran news site on Saturday carried an often cited quote by Khamenei that said the arrow shot by Khomeini will one day hit the target. The, t- uh, the headline of the hardline, Vatan Emruz uh, newspaper read, a knife in Salman Rushdie's neck. The Khosran, Khorasan daily uh, carried the har- uh, headline, Satan on the way to hell. So here's, here's the thing with these stories, okay, that you have to be keeping in mind. Bilmar said something uh, a couple days ago because, you know, Salman Rushdie is one of his friends, a good friend of his. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's probably going to lose his eye, by the way, okay? 
And oh, he, really? Yeah, he's probably going to lose his eye. And do you know what he was talking on at this event? He was talking about on the freedoms to be able to talk about whatever you can write about and talk about. That's what this whole tour was about. So he's going out there talking about that. And this guy comes in, stabs him three times in the neck, four in the stomach, in the eye, going to lose his eye, in bad conditions. He's making it. Whether you like Simon Rushdie or not or agree with what he wrote or not, you know, Bill is trying to say, name me any other religion that their extremists are doing things like this. And he says, as much as America wants to avoid this topic, it is a discussion that we must have. Mm. So now, a couple things. Do you remember years ago when Trump, uh, uh, under his regime, they killed Ghassan Soleimani? Do you remember when that happened? Yeah, the Iranian and, general. Yeah, and we talked about the revenge and you know how long oh, it's going to uh, take. Oh, the airport missile. That's right. So what did they say? Oh, you know, revenge is coming. It's going to come on whose terms? On their terms. You know, it's not going to... These guys in Iran, they don't forget. Mm -hmm. This is not something they sit on and they move on. To them... It's just a matter of time before they get there, especially right now. I don't know how many stories you're reading about the fact that Iran wants to go after Trump. Did you see these stories about... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, they just tried to kill John Bolton, too, did they? They not? just tried to kill John Bolton. Trump's another one that they have on their list. But look, this is real. This isn't like, uh, you know, the, these types of stories when you're reading them and you're hearing the support from the back to say kissing the hand of the person who... The hand of the man who tore the necks of God's enemy must be kissed, being written by this paper that is the editor-in-chief is appointed by Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei. You know, you have, to, you have to understand these types of things don't happen in America. These types of things happen. It's, it's stories like this that gets you to realize freedom of speech in America. This is not happening from an American to an American. This kid that did this, the 24-year-old mm -hmm. that was connected to the Iran, to Iran, you know where he lives. This kid is, he was born in California. It's not like he was born in Iran. Yeah. This kid's a U.S. citizen. Hmm. Natural born, he was born here. And they get to him and he goes up there and does what he does. And right now, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen with it. But um, I hope more of this doesn't become a normalized thing. I hope we don't get too many of these stories happening. Uh, it's unfortunate that they did it to him. I remember when the fatwa happened, they were burning his book all over the place. And quite frankly... The, the book is actually not that great of a book. The fact that they gave him a fatwa, mm -hmm. took his book to, you know, levels of selling mm -hmm. God knows how many copies because Khomeini gave him that fatwa. There's literally celebrations where, have you seen these videos? They're, they're around fire and they're throwing the book in fire. They bought his book to burn it. They bought his That's book exactly to burn it. it. Amazon has a 10-pack for those of you who are going to the yeah, Inferno this afternoon. <laughs> Well, That's it's it, ironically what's making me think of is just free market capitalism is because look at prohibition. There no more liquor in America. That's it. Well, what happened? People were making moonshine in their bathtubs. So this is one of those things where it's like, no, no, don't, don't, don't look over here. No Salman Rushdie. It's like that's just going to empower more people to be like, hold on, why can't I go? What do you mean? Hold on, and and it essentially enabled his book to come become a national bestseller, international bestseller. But when you try to outlaw things, black markets uh, emerge. And not that he needed a black market to sell his books, but if you try to stomp out something, it's going to reemerge as something else. And that's the problem that I run. Is did, did you hear about what happened with J.K. Rowling? When J.K. Rowling goes up there and she says, you know, I hope he's okay. She says this on Twitter. Uh, horrifying news. Feeling very sick right now. Let, let him be okay. 
And somebody responded on Twitter, a guy named uh, Mir Asif Aziz replied, don't worry, you are next, mm-hmm. okay? Aziz is reportedly an Iran-backed Islamist extremist praising Rushdie's attacker. It's, it's, I mean, and by the way, I'm curious, did this person get banned on Twitter or are they still active on Twitter, Tyler? Do you know this? Of course they're still active. I'm trying to find the article now. Yeah, that's find it, that out though. Tyler. It, it's it's um the kid deleted his well, account. I don't think Twitter did anything. I think uh-huh. the kid deleted his Well Pat, account. can I ask you a question? Being from being that you're from Iran, yeah, and that you're a Christian and that you had to leave the country, you know, after the Iranian revolution, what have you experienced in terms of I'm not saying that you've had a fatwa, but you ain't going back to Iran anytime soon. I'd love to go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What's your experience as a Christian from Iran, and, and where does this story kind of fit into it all? Well, I mean, this is why we live in America. This is why we escaped to come over here. Because stories like this, in Iran, it's, 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 uh, I'm not saying it's every day, but it's normal. Mm-hmm. You don't say anything about the regime in Iran. Period. Say anything about Khamenei, Iran, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Say anything you want. The other day, uh, uh, women were doing a march and taking down their hijab. you know, hijab, and all of a sudden, I don't know if you saw this video or not, mm-hmm. shots fired. These are ladies just doing a basic protest in March and saying, hey, we don't want to wear the hijab. I mean, it's just the, the, the game is a different game of imposing fear for you to shut your mouth, and that's their way of weaponizing the people. It's just straight up with a gun and we're going to kill you, yeah. can't destroy you. In America, the way they're doing it is a different way. In America, the way they do it is they'll take your voice away from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll censor you. There's different methods to kill a man. Killing a man. It's not just a the life. Life is. I actually I asked a friend the other day about Trump and what's going on, and they said if this last thing with FBI doesn't work, there's only one thing left. They gotta okay? kill him. Yeah, exactly. If this thing with FBI doesn't work, there's only one thing left, That's and great. the way they'll do it is, you know, again, this is just a pure story that was given to me. The way they'll do it is. Having another country do it that would make sense to not have it be on America's, you know, on on uh, internal political party, but deep state. Yeah. So, anyways, who you mean knows? like Lee Harvey Oswald in Cuba? Sirhan, oh. Sirhan. <laughs> there's many creative Recently ways. Got out. Yeah, and we're so, trying to get in touch with the guy. But there's many ways uh, you can do it. Anyways, that's a story with Salman Rushdie. Well, um, so real quick, Pat, how many more of these instances have to happen before? the powers that be actually wake up and have a conversation about this. Like this insider article, no motive had been identified, right? Twitter doesn't want to ban this person that threatened J.K. Rowling. Bill Maher even said, I want to quote him here, don't come at me when you say Islamophobia, when you say phobic, just a way to shut off debate. And it's not Islamophobia. But when when are the powers that be going to actually have a conversation about is... Is this a violent religion? Does it come with violence? As Adam said, people have been headed for drawings of the Prophet of Muhammad. Uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali made a film. The director of the film, uh, something Van Gogh, was was stabbed and beheaded. Like, how many more of these things have to happen before we actually have this conversation? When you get people like uh, Bill Maher, who start saying things like this, and all of a sudden people on the left and people on the right, not the left, the, the Democrats and some folks on the right, start agreeing on things like this that's purely common sense, mm-hmm. That's when you have to do something, period. Right. Because let's just say I'm in the NBA. Let's just say I'm, I'm part of his community, right? And behind closed doors, a superstar hasn't happened in the NBA yet because everybody that talks Orlando Magic, 6'11", you know, 
Uh, Jonathan he, Isaac. Yeah, Isaac. yeah. You're not yeah. a superstar, so you have nothing to say. You want to stand up? Good for you. Enos Cantor. Yeah, you're nobody. In, in, in not in, you're a nobody. We've had him on. You're not an all star. You don't have a voice. Actually, I think he may. I don't know if he was an no, all star, but he's not. had 14, 10 stats. He's had decent yeah. stats. Okay. Not an all star. Yeah. So he's a sixty million dollar year guy. Okay. Uh, uh, not a lightweight. But he's, he's not a, no longer he's in the not league. Not an all star. You're right. Yeah. But but if a if in the NBA all of a sudden. A guy comes out like Giannis and says something, they have to listen to him, okay? And the way Giannis says it in a very gentle way, he would not say it in the way that, you know, uh, LeBron would say, shut up, chump, shut your mouth, chump. I don't know what he said. You know, uh, Steph Curry doesn't want to show up anyways or whatever he said to, you know. If somebody like Giannis comes out in a respectful manner, if some of these stars come out and do that, the entire league, has to take notice mm -hmm. until that happens. When Bill Maher comes out and says this, you have to take notice because Bill Maher is an all-star. He's not just an all-star. Bill Maher is a superstar in a media space. Mm -hmm. So when superstars like him on the left or Democrats come out and start saying things like this, you're kind of cornered. Are you, you talking to... about radical Islam specifically? Or... Any argument. I'm not okay. just giving you radical Islam. Radical Islam is one of the topics. Yeah. On any topic, when somebody from your base comes and says, I don't know that. I don't know. I, I think we have to do something about this. Problem, yeah. yeah, I think we got a problem here. <laughs> you have to pay attention to it. Well, you remember the debate that happened on Bill Maher's show regarding radical Islam ben Affleck, featuring yeah. Ben Affleck and Sam Harris. Ridiculous. And, uh, and uh, ben... who, who won there? Who lost there? Well, clearly Sam Harris won. Uh, ben Affleck got very emotional. And he goes, oh, so you're the expert on this. He's like, well, matter of fact, I am. I've written books on this. And here's the reality of it. And Batman at the time didn't look so strong. Um, but you brought up the concept of radical Islam. This is the only religion in the world where, you know, you run your mouth, you're going to get killed. It doesn't happen in Judaism, doesn't happen in Christianity, doesn't happen in Buddhism. And I have a lot of uh, Islamic friends, Muslim friends, respect. God, you know, God bless you. I'm not coming at you, but this is a point of concern. Excuse me? You know what, for the last 20 years running, and you can go look this up, you know it's the most persecuted group on this planet? Muslims by other Muslims? No, Christians. Yeah, that's right. Go look it up. Go look at... For another time. Um, what do you mean for another? Now's the time. Make your point. Christians around the world are the single most persecuted and exterminated group on basis of pure faith. You look at what's happened in Darfur. You look what's happened in Indonesia. The, there is a genocide that's going on here. The first country in this world that was a single, single identity single identity, not, not polytheistic, but single identity Christian was Armenia and suffered a genocide that still no president of the United States has stated it was a genocide. You go back and you go back and look. Biden but, actually did come out and say something in the beginning of his presidency. I think you recall that. Biden did say something about it, shockingly enough. Hmm. Can I say one, you, can I, yeah, can I say one thing about the, the, the Islam piece? Islam has a bunch of problems. Their religion, in, in my view, has not evolved the way the other two Abrahamic faiths have evolved. And the, 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 the tenet of violence is obvious. I don't, I don't think that it's 
Islamic phobic or prejudice or racist to just acknowledge the tenets of what you see before you. However, it, it does occur to me that as I watch the mainstream media pit all sides against the middle, that the criticism of a Islamic of Islam, even in the conservative movement, somewhat of our own weak faith because let's take the Afghanis for example when the Afghanis say and this is also a double cross or triple cross an example of that it's it's people taking the Lord's name in vain but they're right to take the Lord's name it's just what they do with it is wrong it's the same way America in its early stages our founding fathers took the Lord's name in vain, right? We Christians have a better religion than you, so it gives us the right to persecute and kill you, build a civilization based on our faith. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a religious zealot. I can see where the errors of religion take, you know, great shape. Torquemada. Um, But the Afghanis, for example, are they wrong to say that we want the West out of our culture, out of our everyday life, that we want the contemplative to be at the center of our life? And, you know, they're, they're... there's a subtle, there's a subtle racism in it, and I don't mean to say racism, culturalism, whatever you want to say. When we go, yeah, but that third world life you live in the mountains with the goat and the hut, that's not really living, right? I mean, there's a real arrogance and supremacy and, and anti-humanism in it, and that's what Ben Affleck was trying to say in that Bill Maher piece. But he was saying it in a sort of weird, perverted, distorted liberalism, fake woke Hollywood way, because he doesn't have the, the depth to really touch at the real issues. Because he's on the same grift, on the same teat of the people who are oppressing the Somalis, who were pirating the Somali walk. That was us. So there is a rightful criticism of the Islamic world, of the West, of trying to encroach and, and create this this stage of economic imperialism and cultural invasion. The question is, what is their response? What's a proper response? What's a righteous response? And it's never a righteous response to kill innocent people in the name of God. Mm-hmm. And and that's where Islam, I think, has strayed egregiously from from the path of genuine faith. Is it it it, it, it my understanding even of the Islamic faith? Nowhere, nowhere is a is a reasonable read of the Quran, um, you know, allow for somebody to kill innocent people in the name of God. And and if they have perverted in that way, then it's way off the mark. So, mm-hmm. but we have to also as Westerners, as Americans going forward in the America First movement even, uh, realize that we provide the, the, we provide the canvas for them to weaponize Islam in their part of the world. They get to reasonably say, hey, look, the Americans, they're, they're, they're security state warmongers, and we are, and we have been. And if we pull ourselves out of there, we allow the radical Islamists to show who they really are to their people and not use us as an excuse. So that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the quote from the Iranian newspaper to your point about using God as, uh, as the, the righteous way to do righteous things on behalf of God. Quote unquote, the hand of the man who tore Salman Rushdie's necks, his neck, the AKA God's enemy, must be kissed. A yeah. thousand bravos to the brave and dutiful person. So they're using God as the scapegoat or their justification for why. This um, apostate should be killed using God. Do you think God is actually looking down on Salman Rushdie and saying that he's the enemy and he should be killed? Yeah. According to no. 
No, you know, that's Sharia law. He is, I guess. That's and I, I take that at that's my interpretation of using taking the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Pat. Are we ready for Marlago to get into it? Let's go to Marlago. Let's go right Mar-a-Lago? Now. Okay, it's only forty-five miles away, anyways. If we wanted to drive there, but it's better <laughs> let's it just do it on far? the podcast. For yeah, maybe yeah. maybe maybe a little more. Actually, maybe six less than an hour away. away. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people there right now. Have you seen it? The streets yeah, they're all over there? the place. Wow. So I'll tell you, it's real quick. From for six months after the election, I would come down through Palm Beach. I went north to uh, to uh, Indian Town, Florida, and I tell you, six months every day, people would be bridge after bridge after bridge on 95 South, just hanging there. 10, 12, 15 people. Everybody had a flag. Everybody was representing. Everybody was out for Trump. It's, it's crazy the people that will go out to Trump, to Palm Beach, to this area and support. Tyler, you were one of them. What are you talking about? You drove. You didn't just drive by. You Listen, were there. Listen, boy. Don't, with don't your, make me. With your sign, stop the steal. We all know you were there, Tyler. It's like you want to kind of defend I don't have people. a sign. I just have you my were tattoo. There. Exactly. <laughs> this guy. Okay, so before we even read some of these stories, Adam, what do you, what do you, what are you thinking with what happened there? What am I thinking? Yeah, when you saw the story about the FBI, uh, I, we didn't do this live. We were at an event. I was in Las Vegas when this took place out of nowhere when Trump wrote it on Truth Network mm-hmm. where we just got the Mar-a-Lago was raided. FBI agents came in. They took you know a number of boxes, 27 boxes removed from Mar-a-Lago, 11 uh, of which contained classified documents is what they're saying. Four sets were marked as top secret. Three of them were marked as secret. And three others were marked confidential. And then you hear all this stuff. And then Trump says on Truth Social, number one, it was all declassified. Number two, they didn't need to seize anything. They could have had any, had it any time they wanted without playing politics and breaking into Mar-a-Lago. It was in a secret storage with an additional lock put on as per their request. They could have it had it any time they wanted. And that includes long ago. All they had to do was ask. The bigger problem is, what are they going to do with the 33 million pages of documents, many of which are classified that President Obama took to Chicago, and then some are saying it's uh, some nuclear information was there, and then they said, why wouldn't the FBI allow the inspection of areas of Mar-a-Lago with our lawyers or others present, made them wait outside in the heat, wouldn't let them get even close, said absolutely not. So the uh, the insinuation, the, the claims they're making is there may have been some nuclear documentation mm-hmm. in there, potentially. But when you saw this, what was the first thought? Yeah, I you mean, well, I, uh, most people have their mind made up on Trump already. Nobody, Nobody's going to be watching this and be like, okay, based on this story, how do I feel about Trump? You either feel that he is a national treasure or national hero, and that's what side you're on, or that you think that he's a national security risk, straight up. So, you know, if you want to kind of look at the left and the right on this, you can say, all right, this is politically Try motivated. to reason. Exactly. Try to well, reason. I mean, I'm just trying to be in the middle here. Just but try to you know, reason. Most of America, <laughs> you know, they're weaponizing the Justice Department, and then it's basically just sort of political theater. And that, or then there's other side of the coin that's basically saying, no, these are legitimate concerns. These are very serious charges. What are they breaking the Espionage Act and oh, yeah. uh, and you know basically obstruction of justice? So um, at the end of the day, everything's going to fall on Merrick Garland. He's the one who signed off on this. I think the first couple of days they were like, "How did this happen? Who's the person? The DOJ? What's going on?" Merrick Bar- Garland, who infamously was passed up for a Supreme Court justice under Obama, Mitch McConnell. We all know that story. Oh no, 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 he got over that. Yeah, exactly. So is it? 
feeling, it, feeling better now. Right, but I don't think he took this lightly. When he signed, I'm not on no Merrick Garland personally. I don't know where his mentality is at, but when he signs off on this, he has to realize, oh shit, this is some serious you don't stuff. Think, you don't think we Biden are raiding the, the home of the president, ex president of the United States? You don't think Biden knew? I don't know. I don't oh, want to oh, speculate okn okay, okay. so, so, yeah. did it. Let me, let me ask you a question. I don't know. I mean, let, I, do, me, I generally don't know. Percentage-wise. I know yeah. you don't know, but percentage-wise. So think about it. If you're going to do something, Garland, you're going to do something mm-hmm. for the first time, and it's never, ever Been happened done. before. Yeah. Ever you call happened it before. And it's under your watch mm-hmm. as a president. Yeah. Would you want me, Garland, to call you, or would you want me to do without calling you? If you're saying, are, is it likely that Biden knew? Yes, it's probably likely. I don't know. So, so, come out so it is likely that he knew. Likely. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know, what does it mm-hmm. say? Let's just say he didn't know. If Biden didn't know, what does it say about Biden? Who's running the show? It shows weak leadership if you don't know. First of all... For you to go out there and I do... I don't know. For the record, I don't know what Biden knew or didn't know. I'm just saying that this comes on to for, Merrick Garland. He's ju- the one who signed off on this. But, but, He's the attorney general. I, I get that. The, but the I'm Department talk- of Justice falls under him. I'm talking... Did Biden know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But we don't know that yet. But that's not what I'm asking you. Try to reason with me. So if he didn't know, okay, assume you're Biden. I'm mm-hmm. Garland. I do this. Knowing the opposing side is going to say... Well, you know, they're trying to hurt their number one contender, et cetera, et cetera. Would you not want to know before I do something? I, yeah, this? I agree with you. Yes, okay, so you, you would, would probably want to know. Now, if but I do say... Do I guarantee that he knows? I don't know. Now, let me ask you the second, second question. Say I intentionally did it without telling you. That'd be messed up. Correct. Not only would it be messed up, mm-hmm. but secondly, it would mean what? You're a nobody. That you don't have control. That, that you don't have control. So just so you know, if they take the position of, oh, Biden had nothing to do with it, weak leadership. If they take the position of Biden had everything, they say lose, lose, no matter which way. So that one is the next one. Now, here's the other part. If it's so classified, why'd you wait 18 months? That is the one thing for me. Forget all the conspiracies. Forget everything. I have one question. If we're really here to, to protect we the people, whoever that is, of whatever party at whatever time in history, if it's really here to protect we the people, why wait 18 months? I erase all the conspiracies, everything like that. I even reasoned in my mind, just like you said, did Biden know? Did he not know? Good Lord, what's going on here? But I come down to, why did you wait till now? If this was really a problem and you were really worried about that woman who could have or probably was a Chinese spy with the the, the the uh, hidden thing. camera, the hidden camera in Mar-a-Lago that they found. That they saying. found a while ago. Says, "Oh my gosh, there were there was a potential Chinese asset there. 18, uh, 20, 30 months ago, there was a potential Chinese asset. This could be classified stuff. We got to go over there right now. Isn't that the way the government should respond? Yeah. So why do we wait until now? Why, well, and, they've had communication with Trump's lawyers. They didn't just come out of nowhere. Apparently, no, no, no. they were like, hey, you got to return the but, whatever. And then he's like, wait, yeah, wait, sure, wait. we've already done Adam, it. Adam, let's, let's reason through this point. You're right. There was a lot of reasoning and discussion done. And back and it, forth. It, back and forth. But if it was a national security issue of nuclear secrets of level one, mm-hmm. there is no reasoning. It's go repeat protect the republic and bust down the door including the one with the extra lock and get that stuff and put it someplace safe secure so that that to me that to me sounds reasonable to do that right if it's if it, if you're saying it's such a national security you know risk you waiting 18 months shows a lack of responsibility and leadership again so go both ways go say it is okay and you waited 18 months weak leadership 
Go say it's not. And then you waited. You know, so both ways you're losing. Weak leadership and irresponsible. Yeah, weak leadership and irresponsible. The other part is when uh, Andrew Cuomo comes out and he says, <laughs> DOJ, Hang on a second. Yeah, he comes out and he says, DOJ must immediately explain the reason for its rate. And it must be more than a search of inconsequential uh, archives or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation and legitimacy of January 6th investigation. This is what Cuomo said. Now, a pundit came out and said the following. Cuomo is wrong. DOJ doesn't have to explain anything. They never announced they searched Mar-a-Lago, Trump did. He's the one who politicized it by stealing documents, refusing to return the documents, and pretending to be the victim after he broke the law. Okay? So that's the argument being made. And Cuomo, by the way, is a guy that can't stand Trump for him to say what he's saying. Andrew now, Cuomo. And he also just redid all the floors in his house. He doesn't want all these FBI guys with their boots running around. Bill Maher said the following. Bill Maher said FBI raid might have saved Martyr trump from losing to desantis and gop primary calling trump the luckiest man in the world his fortune was finally falling the big lie was finally losing momentum desantis was beating him in the polls you know how he hates this more than anybody desantis i had this one in the back and now i gotta run against president martyr uh, Bill Maher says, as he impersonates DeSantis, Maher argued that the raid was saving Trump politically because it has caused all the Republicans to rally around Trump. So did this help or hurt Trump? Adam. Look, I, I, Trump's ceiling is 42%, whatever the number is. The, the bigger question, number one, I don't I don't think that DeSantis would beat Trump in a primary, in a general. I've been very clear. I'd r- much rather have a DeSantis rather than a Trump. I think the question that we all need to ask ourselves is whether you're a Trump supporter or not. Let's pretend I'm a Trump supporter for a second. I'm going to put on my Trump hat. These things are not going to stop with Trump. Again, pretend I'm a Trump supporter. How many, like, look at the track record. Russia, 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 impeachment number one, impeachment number two, quid pro quo, January 6th, insurrection, Mar-a-Lago. What gives you the idea that if there's four more years of Trump, this nonsense isn't going to go on? Again, if I'm on Team Trump and I'm saying, I love Trump, he's the best president ever, he's making America great again, that's amazing. At some point, the exhaustion and the fatigue has to set in. It's like, holy shit. Everywhere this guy goes, there's another drama, whether it's shooting himself in the foot or whether it's basically the leftist agenda that's coming after him. But the reality is, every few months, there's another Trump saga okay, you're, drama. You're, talk, you're talking about Hunter Biden again. Get back to Trump. I don't know what that means. However, it's so Listen exhausting. to what you just said. It's so exhausting with Trump. Again, pretend I'm on Team Trump here. Every three months, every six months, there's going to be another political drama that you're going to have to run through. But you Good. say that it's as, gonna, he, as though these are Trump's doings. I'm just, again, pretending I'm a Trump fan. Yeah. This is the reality. There's Good. another impeachment coming down the road. Good. There's Better. another. But, but if you're pretending you're another a Trump drama fan, going that's, that's not what they're saying. The Trump fans are not saying that. No, I'm, 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 that I'm they're saying, saying the actual all of facts this. here, Tom. No, hang on. Everything I just said was not my opinion. You hang on. Everything I've just said oh, is exactly go. what happened. Really? Did he not go through two impeachments? Did it, January 6th was not going through so Let me, let me ask good. you a question. You're not saying whether those things were true or not. All you're saying is a Trump brings a lot of drama. That's Fair. what you're Bingo. saying. For okay. more, yeah. So you're not. You're saying Russia was a hoax. You're saying the impeachment didn't really I'm just do saying anything. Everything that just happened is just sure. expect more of it. Okay. So sure. then. So okay. So then Your let's process that. Also, is, is but, that a Trump? a Trump person, 
your premise is a Trump person is going to say, gosh, this is all these things are too fatiguing. That's not what the the that's not what MAGA says. MAGA says all these Bring things are on. being foisted against mm-hmm. our hero. They're not saying I'm fatigued. So I, that's my point. My, my simple point there, you hang on, right, was that the Trump fans are not saying they're fatigued. They are saying they're fatigued. They're tired can of I, the liberal establishment trying to attack their boy. I, I, I just go, go for it. I disagree with that. I think there is some fatigue in the MAGA movement. and There has to be. <laughs> and it's go on. Un, un, unrightfully so. Um, I think the response to people weaponizing the truth and manipulating and using it to try and bully you into emotional fatigue should be opposed vehemently. You, you should never give way to somebody who's marked you out and said, if we just keep lying enough, this person will ride off into the sunset. We won't have to worry about them. That's how you lose a country. That's how you lose a country in grand fashion, which we have. But I do see as a, a, a rising voice in the America First movement and the MAGA movement and in that circle that many people are criticizing Trump, not necessarily for the rightful criticisms that there are, but more along the lines of these contextual, well, if he runs again, then we have to look forward to more of this, and it would just be better if DeSantis had his day. And it, you know, my, my, my concept of it, again, going back to earlier, is um, the, the greater scope of it is the people who we oppose, the forces that are coalesced against us spiritually, politically, ideologically, emotionally, whatever. Um, They are opposed to Donald Trump at a deep level. It's not him. He's just his current scapegoat. If DeSantis wins and he got in, there would be no way that they would look more favorably on DeSantis and not try the same tactics on him unless he abandoned an America first position, which he might. And and, and I'm I'm on Team Trump. But I'm going to say something that the MAGA movement might not like right now. Um, this is all moral hazard to what I was telling you earlier. When you don't tell the truth, when it's time to tell the truth and fight and die for the things you believe in, when it's time to, that it comes back to bite you. And we talked about this 10, 20, 50 hypothetical time horizon. Well, Donald Trump's time horizon on moral hazard just, just knocked on his door right now. And it was only a few years later. Because what he didn't do, as America first as he was, as trade as he was, as immigration as he was, as anti-liberalism, church of LGBTQ, drain the swamp as he was, he didn't deconstruct the administrative state. He didn't gut the intelligence communities. And he should have. And he had, the, he had the juice to at least lobby for it. But even he, in a flawed manner, and again, I support him running as the as the candidate in 24 for the GOP and becoming a president. I think the country needs him right now. But we don't want an echo chamber in the America First movement. And any MAGA supporters who want an echo chamber and don't like anybody who has any criticism of Trump, they're not real Americans. They're cucks. He should have deconstructed the administrative state. He should have fought harder to deconstruct the the security state. But he didn't because he likes his security. And, and in trying to move these institutions, we all fall victim to our own personal relevance to him. And this is the moral hazard. He actually believed that the military was behind him when he was a president. And then our guy, Milley, was talking to China behind his back. He was never with him. Right. Barr betrayed him. All of these people that were in these positions betrayed him. 
and he and 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 he actually was pretty moderate. Like I can tell from the things that he went for and the things that he said and the people who I know were behind him and the spirit of what he really was trying to do, he was moderate on. And he tried to do that to appeal to a centrist, uh, uh, you know, a more centrist spirit. And it bit him in the butt. Now the security state's coming after him and who's going to help him? Who is there to help him? The Republican establishment's in on it. Mitch McConnell would love to see Donald Trump's head up on a pike. You know, there aren't enough uh, can, uh, consistent, reliable America First movements in the entire United States Congress to protect him from a weaponized military security state. That's the moral hazard. He should have busted up the administrative state, but he didn't because the people around him that he put around him to advise him said, be moderate. We don't need all of the antics on these certain things. And the security state was one of them. Mm. The head of the FBI should go. The head of the CIA should go. The head of the NSA should go. The head of the DOD should go. After Afghanistan, that hold it back. The, head, the whole thing should be gutted. But they hit us with the fear mongering. They go, if we, gut, if we gut all these security state institutions, you'll be in mortal danger. You won't survive 24 hours if we get rid of these people. These are the people who have stolen the country, and Donald Trump's fallen victim to it just now. Well, he appointed the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray. It's on him. So at one point, you have to look yourself in the mirror. But, you gotta, but, but also, when you're in that position and you go to appoint people as heads of agencies, a lot of the suggestion comes from the peanut gallery. <laughs> right. I don't think you're vetting every single appointee for every single agency in a thorough manner individually. How could you? You don't have the time. So you rely on the people around you, and some of the people around you are shills globalists spooks you know and so he he has to sort that out i support him and and i think he should and i, I think we need him to win in 24 but i'm not going to hold my tongue and, and 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 dance around the fact that this is the moral hazard from some of his decisions and and now that's why he's coming out and saying i never thought this could happen hmm. yeah i know you didn't think it could happen i did when george floyd pop pop popped off in minnesota i said the state has become tyrannical. And Donald Trump was the president at that time. See, when Donald Trump ran on sovereignty, I really understood the, the deeper meaning of sovereignty. He understood it in, at, in, at his level, in his scope. Now, the, the true sense of sovereignty is biting him because our security state should never be able to be weaponized politically against a former president. That's tyranny. But here we are. Who's going to stop it? Who's going to stand up and say, Gut these institutions, irregardless of if it puts us in danger from the Iranians. I don't sleep well at night with the belief that if the CIA director isn't there, then the Iranians are going to bomb us in, our, in, in the middle of the night. No, because I'm a true American. This nation is a nation of shopkeepers, independent business owners, and the Second Amendment. You secure your own freedom. You don't wait for some shadow group of, uh, named the CIA of faceless people that do more killing of faceless individuals around the world than they do protecting to secure your freedom. But Donald Trump is a victim of that as well. New York City businessman, successful, built his wealth. The, the, the protection of the shadow is there. And whatever it is that they're doing and their expert expertise is protecting me, it's, it's, it's okay till you wake up one day and you're in their, their line of sight. Do you have a response? Yeah, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing out uh, Royce over here. But if you're saying gut all these institutions, yeah. the FBI, CIA, DOJ, everything, 
America needs leadership. So what happens sure. if you gut leaders? Yeah, no, no, we de- we have a crisis of leadership. We need new leaders in those positions. It's just about what's the criteria, um, and 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 our our security state and our intelligence communities have become uh, a sidearm or a sidecar of you know the the move towards world governance. And and there's no doubt. Actually, let, let's say it this way: the whole global. A lot of people say the globalism thing is a China enterprise. I see it differently. The, we are the center of the globalist agenda. Us, our security state. We've our security state and these agencies have actually betrayed the American people by partnering with the European monarchy and putting China up as the the figurehead or or the you know the 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 public face symbol of globalism. But it's really us. We're doing it with the Chinese. You, you don't sell off. You, you, don't, you don't give away your economy to a foreign country by accident. This is what I meant when I said Kissinger was really a Democrat. What they did in China in the 70s by opening up China as the Great New Horizon and taking us off the gold standard in the same uh, term isn't by accident. Who would believe that's by accident? You would have to believe these people are idiots. And I don't. I don't think Kissinger's an idiot, and I don't think Nixon was. Let's play this out. What happens here? What happens next? Let's play the game of what do you think will happen next? What do you think will happen next here? Does this help Trump? Does this hurt Trump? Uh, does this get Trump and which, by the way, the, the one thing that would be not the best thing, does this actually make DeSantis consider being a running mate with Trump? Does this bring those two together? Because, Tyler, what do you think if those two united? Okay. Imagine if Trump and DeSantis are like, look, man, if there's one time ever where you and I, let's just do this together, I'll go one term, you take two terms, and let's go run together. Do you think this unifies Trump and DeSantis at all? I think it it has to, but I actually, there was a really interesting um, pairing that I saw suggested the other day was uh, Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Was I? Th- I thought was now. I'm not a f- big fan of MTG, but but you said something the other day that that DeSantis and Trump are both Type A personalities. Yeah. I don't know. I, first of all, I don't think Ron DeSantis would make the mistake of running against Trump in a primary. I think he knows exactly what would happen. I think he looks at Ted Cruz. Your your wife looks like a dog, and uh, like he he knows that. I don't think there's any way Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I'm not Trump asking. I'm not asking Marjorie. But, I'm I'm asking. Does this because here here's the big concern is those two going up against each other, right? The, mm-hmm. the way the left is going to do it is divide and conquer. you got to pin those two against each other. Right. You Bingo. have to do that. Bingo. It has to be strategic. Mm-hmm. Does this unify those two to say, we're both alphas, but let's do this together for four years? I think it unifies them, but I don't think it puts them together. I, I, think, I really think, actually, that, that DeSantis stays in as governor of Florida. He stays in Florida, and Trump picks another solid running mate. I, I, as, as nice as it would be, and I think as powerful as it would be, I don't see that happening. I wonder because what what purpose does it serve? What purpose does it serve to remove Ron DeSantis as the strongest governor in the nation of the strongest state in the nation right now to put him as the Mm -hmm. vice president? And then who would backfill him? Who would backfill Ron DeSantis? And who how can we guarantee that who backfills Ron DeSantis keeps Florida as it is? Florida is a beacon right now. Don't think selfishly. Think if you lived in Tennessee. Forget about forget about Florida. Think you're living in Idaho. You're not living in Florida. Think America more than you think about the state we're living in today. Does this bring those two together? It should. I think it should. I think it won't. Because in my concept, DeSantis is another one who is 
playing the game of political strategy and his career, his individual career has a, you know, he's taken a lot of risks, put his neck on the line on principle. And I respect that. I respect many of the things Ron DeSantis has done in a time of crisis. He held the breach and that's, that's something to be, that's commendable. But um, to what degree must be measured against the circumstance we're in? And if he really believes that we're under attack the way he says he does, if he really, if, if all of these people, Donald Trump too, if all of these people really believe that America's existence with our foundational values and ideas is, is facing the existential threat that it does, all of them have to put their ego aside and their ambitions. That's something a good Christian faith would give them. It's not about me. It's not about me running in 24. It's about what's best right now for we the people. And for we the people, a DeSantis Trump ticket would say that all of the tangential political ancillary strategy and, and trajectories and me in 24, 28, none of that matters. We're going to stand side by side based on sacred honor. But they're going to have trouble coming to that because neither one of them think that way. And, and, their, and their behavior up until this point has proved that. They think along the lines of political strategy. That's part of the reason why Trump endorsed a bunch of candidates who don't even really, who aren't really America first. But he did it, and they end up winning. I know, yeah. And the MAGA people are raising, but they're like, I mean, I'm seeing it on the grassroots level. In the you know, Trump is a strategist. Trump is not. Uh, uh, yeah, he's he's not right. at your level of uh, uh, his his method of getting things done is very different than the way you get it done. And and, and to my point though, his people betrayed him the first time. And he hasn't learned yet. And I pray at night that going into this next election cycle, he will have a change of heart and mind because his people betrayed him. When you think strategy too much, sometimes you're too smart for your own good. Yeah, but people. So, so then what? Jesus was uh, uh, not the his people betrayed him. Yes. So yes. that that is part of the game. The part of the game is betrayal. Betrayal is part of the level you're competing at. You, you're not going to be able to... Uh, uh, Stop a trail. No, right. man. It, it happens that the higher you move up, the more it's going to hurt. But it's going to happen. No doubt. So he's he's playing at a different level. And it's very normal for that. I I understand the way I'm explaining it doesn't make sense. Like, what do you mean it's supposed to be normal? It's very normal. At that God. level. It's and very I, and I'm, look, my criticism yeah. is just to... Because most of the criticism against me is... Well, you started off, you know, leading these peaceful protests for George Floyd, which were really more about corporatocracy, not about racism and police. Sure. But um, it was framed that way. And now they go, well, you, now you're just a show for Donald Trump or the far right. I'm like, no, I mean, there's criticism to go around. Yeah. Um, and, and Donald Trump has a fair share that, that he should reasonably get. Um, but you're right at that level. Just like I said about him picking the, the proper, even the attorney general, Bill Barr was probably a bad pick. Um, but but he trusted them. Uh, and he and he came up short, um, and and we're all going to do that. Who around Donald Trump has not uh, disabanded him? Who D around David Trump? Nunes. I think Steve. I think Steve Bannon did a. a I mean Bannon. As far as yeah, Trump called him sloppy Steve, yeah, and basically wrote him off. Never but that's Trump. Trump talking to Steve. That's not Steve talking against Trump. And actually, Steve did very. This is why I actually followed. This is why I was interested. Besides that Steve is nail on the gun when it comes to the issues, trade, China, um, most things. Me and him disagree on a few things too, but most things. Um, when Donald Trump lashed out at him and he said, nah, that's my guy. That's my guy. I'm, a, I'm an Irish boy from West Virginia. We talk to each other. I, I've heard worse with my brothers around the kitchen table. That's my guy. I'm sticking by him. 
That's sacred honor. That's Yeah, but doesn't sacred honor work both ways? Sometimes it doesn't. Your sacred honor is about you. It's not dependent on how I act in the world to to most degree shouldn't be based on what he does. Now, if he threatens me with a gun and I have to react physically to what he's doing in real time, that's one thing. But on principle and idea, who I am shouldn't be contingent on who he is or what he says. I have mm-hmm. to hold my own value. So I think Steve did a great job, and he stuck with it. I mean, even to this day. Other than other people named Trump and maybe Kellyanne Conway, who was there six years ago None of them. that's still going to be there in 2024? Very few. Very few. And why is that? Well, uh, to be honest, I think many of those people were really in it for themselves anyway. They were bandwagon riders. Um, they weren't a, they weren't patriots anyway. Um, I'm not saying that that's why they left him, but I don't really believe like a uh, Conway's husband. He's another Democrat. George Conway. Yeah, he's a Democrat. <laughs> I mean, these people aren't real conservatives anyway. So a lot of the things that Trump was trying to push us towards are a little more radical even than he lets on in the public sphere because he was trying to appease these group this group of people that were was around him. Can I say something, Adam? Okay, so very good question you ask. Okay. Very good question you ask. Uh where it gets uh, uh, the audience, let's just say the audience says, why didn't they stick around? Okay. So his argument is what? They were not really fully true believers. They were in and more for themselves. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's just say I give that argument 5-10%. I don't give that argument 80% credibility, by the way. Let's say the other side is, because Trump is just so hard to work with. He fires everybody. I mean, he had a show. The whole show was all about what? You're fired. And he's all about himself. So if you're not with him 100%, he fires you. How much credibility do you give to that? Say you give 20%, 30% credibility to that, whatever it is. Yeah. Fine. Let's go there. And let's say this guy is not the right guy to be a president. He can't keep people around. His retention sucks. And his, he's not picking the right people. So as much as you say the FBI, this, you pick these guys, right? So the person who picks them also gets judged for right. your ability to not choose the right person. you got to be able to hire the right people, right? Okay. You can't pick Fine. on your team if you draft drafted. But, but let me tell you where I go here. Let me tell you where I go here. If, if he's that terrible of a candidate, then guess what? Leave it alone. You're going to win, Democrats. So if he is who you say he is, the way you pose that question, then why are the Democrats so afraid of this guy? <laughs> that's a great so, point. So, so then to me, it comes back to if that's the candidate. Like, you know how, okay, so say Trump would have ran against Michelle, not Hillary. Who wins? So in 2016, it's not Hillary. It's Michelle. Who wins? I think yeah, Michelle. Huh? I think Michelle. I think Michelle. If, I don't know about if, that. By the way, let me ask you a different question. Say it was Obama's second term. Who wins? Obama by a landslide. Yeah. Say it's Obama's first term. Who wins? Obama. Okay. Say it's Clinton against Trump. Who wins? Clinton. Okay. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Here's where I'm going with this. The point I'm trying to make is the right was like, hell yeah, Hillary is running. Hell to the yeah, Hillary is running. Why? Because she's beatable? Because she's beatable. She's unlikable. Well, she was she the is worst fake. She is totally. there is like there's nothing mm-hmm. about her that's like, man, I want like you, you know the part about Obama, you're like, dude, you know what? Republicans showed up to the first you know, inauguration when he gave this speech because it was like 
Dude, the first African. You know how many Republicans? Yeah, I they know, should show up. But but no, no, it's not <laughs> they, they, not should. they should. It's not should. There's no such thing as should. I'm saying Republican voters showed up, not mm -hmm. the leaders. Oh, God. People showed up to say, dude, freaking, I'm witnessing history. There was something you liked about Obama. Mm -hmm. Nothing likable about Hillary, okay? So the Republicans are like, shit, we hope Hillary runs. Go run, run, run. Why aren't Democrats feeling that way? If you say he's such a bad candidate, you should kind of, like, it's art of war. You know, sometimes you got to get out of the way of the enemy when he's yeah. fallen. Go well, run then off get the out cliff. Of, why don't you do that? Yeah, why don't you do cliff. that? If he's such a bad candidate, get out of his way. You're right. Step back on insurrection. Because it's not about him. It's the ideas that they're afraid of. Well, to me, to me. They know that it's deeper than him. I, I think I think to me, here's what I think to me is. Um, to me is this guy is an operator and operators are intimidating. You know why operators are intimidating? Because operators don't just say things to say them. Biden will say things to get elected. Every 90% of people that are running for office, they'll say whatever they can to get elected because the history is about what? It's about who got elected, right? Every once in a while, you find a person that, you know how they say, I'm gonna kick your ass. They're actually gonna kick your ass, okay? <laughs> okay. Those types of people are very scary. So to, the only thing that he uh, made a point that makes you think is the following. So let's just say, you know, how, how different are Trump and, and uh, DeSantis? If they're pushing this hard for Trump to be eliminated because they want to indict him so he can't run, what they're really saying is we would much rather face DeSantis. off DeSantis than face off Trump. Right. Who, you think right. the Democrats would rather face DeSantis I'm saying, than Trump? I'm saying 100%. if. Oh, I totally disagree. Well, th but that's your emotional yeah, opinion. But, I, but, 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 but let me just be an opinion. But Fine, it's your opinion. But let me say this part to you. If you are saying he lost all these people, if you are saying why did he fire all these people, if mm -hmm. you are saying all these are bad judgment, isn't that a terrible candidate? Yeah. So why are you getting in his way? Well, look, they're not just going to sit back and just let Trump do his thing. They're going to come after him. But Trump can't do anything right now. How so? He, what can he do right now? He's not a president. He's a former president. And, and who, who in the White House, like Obama, mm -hmm. like you think, you think, you know how Obama controlled the IRS? Obama controlled the FBI? Obama controlled CIA? Who does he control? Nobody. Who does he have control over? Nobody. Who, tell me who he has control over. The military? The no. MAGA community. He still, but, he still owns that. But that doesn't mean anything because policies cannot be changed mm -hmm. on that. All I'm saying is... Well, he still has his tentacles on people in Congress. Like he's not the—he might not be the king anymore. But I he's don't certainly think the, so. The kingmaker. But all what do you mean? All his all his candidates won their fine. election. I get that. And he's, meanwhile, you have Mike Pence kind of going against him, and yeah. you know the Republican establishment. There's like these proxy wars going I on. I want to. Believe, There's all that internal drama I, in the Republican I, Party. I'm no doubt. I'm taking the angle of your argument. Uh, your argument is he's a terrible candidate for the right. No, okay? I'm not. I'm not saying he, that. I'm just saying there's a ceiling with him. Okay. What's the ceiling? 45%? All right. So who's more intimidating to the left, Trump or DeSantis? To the left? To the left. I think DeSantis, number one, DeSantis doesn't have the, the, the star quality of Trump. Not even close. So I think we're kind of like conflating, who is it, Trump or DeSantis? It's like, dude, it's not even freaking close. But, However, in a general election, yeah. DeSantis is way more palatable to the general electorate than Trump. Shouldn't that scare the Democrats? I think so, yeah. Shouldn't they be more about let Trump run? 
I mean, I mean, they're not going to just sit there and let Trump won. We already went over the list no, of things you, that they're then, trying to but then, come at him with. But then there's a contradiction in that argument. But why? Yeah, then there's a contradiction in that argument. There's a contradiction in that argument. Okay. Uh, 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 you know, as much as people said what they said about Obama, the right, th- that was the one person they didn't want to, you know, they're like, this guy could actually do something. Well, they're because- still going to always try to bring Trump down. No matter, Like if he's at 45%, they're going to want him at 40%. A, tell me what president they've ever done it at this height. Nobody. This, that's my point. Okay. Is that it's not going to stop. But but I, I but why though is my question. Because they hate the guy. Why though? <laughs> For a billion different reasons. Tell me why though. Give me give me five reasons. What he says, how he acts, how he conducts himself, you know, the the illegal stuff that he's done, the lying, the maliciousness, the vindictiveness, the horrible attitude. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The reasons why people on the left hate Trump, like I could write an there's novels written about this stuff. Yeah, all, all, now, all, are they justified? That's a different yeah. question. Are all all of those are more of a reason to get out of his way and let him run because he'll lose. If you are thinking he's that that horrible of a candidate and a leader, you ought to let him run. Yeah, but that still him. doesn't. Do, oh, wait, they can't subtract they, the fact that he's got a major base with him. One thing though is they they can't do what what they're really projecting is that they know that our entire election political system has become a retail politics game of superficial personality mm-hmm. traits, okay? It's this, this, the, the gravity of popularity, okay, in one direction or another. They're scared of Trump for one reason. He's got gravity. They, they don't like, they're, they're uncomfortable with his gravity because they, they, it's, it's, um, it's uh, hard for them to determine. It's hard for them to predict. It's unpredictable for them. Right. With Obama, it was it was it was a similar thing for the opposite reason. They liked Obama's gravity, but they could measure it. They knew why he had the gravity. First black male, very good speaker, can't, you know, well polished, squeaky clean is, you know, the, the most likable guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they're, they're afraid of Donald Trump because he's not a centrist. And the most dangerous people in our society are not the people at the extremes as much as I dislike Ilhan Omar and, and would have mm-hmm. uh, really loved to unseat her. Um, the most dangerous people aren't at the extremes. The extremes, in some way, you could argue, and some people do, that the CIA kind of poses them extremes, like the KKK. Like, who's really in the KKK anymore, right? I don't know. I live in Minnesota in the north. There's been goat folklore about the KKK my entire life. Never ran into one. White people I meet in Minnesota are as nice as they can be. They call me uh, the N-word behind my back when I'm not there, but they don't do it in person. So I don't, the, the, the painting of the white supremacy I don't see um, in the way they depict it. But the centrists are the most dangerous people. The centrists want an ever-expanding middle. They're the purveyors of the status quo. Mm-hmm. That's who Obama was. Mm-hmm. They love that. The gravity towards the centrists in a society where people would much rather believe whoever... CNN tells me is going to represent me, is going to represent me, then I could go back jerking off and getting high. We have a jerk-off society. <laughs> so the most dangerous people in the jerk-off society are people who have gravity in a really superficial, you know, vector. And Trump has that, right? It, whether you support him or not, you have to acknowledge that quality. He has that sort of gravity where people will vote for him without really even diving into his politics. They like the way he acts. They like the... Right, so you most have, people kind of do that. They don't delve into every that, single policy. And the, you either but, like but Trump the, or you don't. But the problem with Trump is, mm-hmm. let's say on two out of ten issues, he's establishment. 
And I would say he is. Like I pointed out, the, the administrative state, I didn't think he went deep enough. I thought the trade thing with China, the 20% wasn't enough. But for the other eight out of 10 issues, you don't know what he's going to do. He's unpredictable. And most of the time, he's going right against the establishment status quo. Obama was the flip. Obama on eight out of 10 issues, nine out of 10 issues is going to go for the establishment status quo. And on the one issue, he's going to paint a, a picture like he's going and doing something transformative when really it's lukewarm at best. Obamacare, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a super grift, <laughs> right? For the government on the working class. I mean, Obamacare mm -hmm. was a predatory move on the American working class in the healthcare sector. No question. So the centrists are dangerous is what I'm trying to say. And DeSantis, all due respect, it's a little more of a centrist. Well, and let's, I think there's a different angle you can take with this. I think Adam is right. The, the Republican Democrat thing is weird. Like, every, I think it's different. I think you have your globalists and your populists. There you go. Okay. I think you could Boom. say that Nixon was a globalist or Kissinger was a globalist. Like, don't do the Re Republican Democrat thing they because were. we're not Boom. there anymore. That's, that's not how the parties work. I think Trump is a, a true populist at heart. And I think the same reason they're so afraid of Trump is the same reason they were so afraid of Bernie, is because Bernie was a populist. Bernie had the will of the people at heart, okay? And I think that's why people, or the establishment, the globalists are so afraid of him because they're afraid of the people. They know what the people are going to do with them. They know they're going to tear them apart. Can I make a point right here? Just go back to my, let me let me pay you a compliment, Pat. I know you don't like taking compliments, but, and this is, there's a Trump metaphor here and go ahead and tell me I'm an idiot and I'm wrong and I'm getting emotional. Go for it, but I'm going to pay you a compliment and you tell me how you're processing this. We just came back from your big event in Las Vegas. The same people that were with you when you started PHP 2009, whether it's George Palaio or Gaetan or um, Ricky and Erica, the, the names go down the list. So whether it's Apollo, who's more recent, the same people, Jonathan Mason, the, the names go on. The same people that were with you in 2009 when things were tough, were not easy, you're having anxiety attacks, they're still with you on stage in 2022 saying, this is the reason that I'm here. This is my guy. Thank God we have Pat and are changing all these lives. And now there's 10,000, 20,000 people in an arena that are hearing people from 15 years ago who you started out with, and they're still saying the same thing. And that, to me, is the definition of a leader. Holy shit. The people that were with me 15 years ago when I had two nickels in my pocket and now have $2 million in the bank, wow, those people are still with me. Now, what's my point? The problem that Trump has is all the people that were singing his praises in 2015, 2016, 90% of them are gone. Every single person in his administration, every general, every his attorney general, Bill Barr, his vice president, who was a bootlicker to the extreme, Mike Pence, is no longer on his team. So my point is, what is the true definition of leadership? It's the person that, that the people who believed in you are still with you rather than it being some sort of transactional hey we're in we're out now we're in. so that's the problem with yeah. trump is but my ultimate can point. i give can i give my rebuttal on sure, that of course okay. so obviously i'm very thankful for that but also at the same time you have to know this we came up together so there's a difference between them knowing me at 30 mm -hmm. and you know at 28 25 26 mario's known me since i was 26 years old 27 years old right um versus He's never been in politics. Hmm. So maybe that story is valid when it goes into real estate side because he's been in the real estate game 40, 50 years. I don't know. Okay, mm -hmm. but, but in, the, in the politics side, when you go in 
and your first job in office is a president, <laughs> not Congress, Senate, governor, president, maybe you haven't had that tenure to have built some of those deeper relationships where they're your guys that you can elect. The moment you go in, maybe some of the guys you pick are not your guys. They were other people's guys. And their loyalty is to that guy. Okay, so for example, like the guys that are with us that we built, uh, you know, company with, you know, 10 years from now, they may still be me, even though I may not be there because the loyalty is with me. We built it together. Even though somebody new may come and run the company, they're going to call me and say, hey, the new guy's doing this. What do you think about this? They're going to call me. These guys he hired are not his guys. Carl There's Rove. somebody else's guys. Carl Rove. They're not his guys. Fair point. That's the only argument yeah. I'm making with this where I get it. I know what you're saying. But, uh, dude, these guys have been – you're not going to change a 62-year-old person's loyalty at, who's been in an industry politics for 32 years and you come in from real estate who has all the money, gets all the attention, gets all the girls. Oh, now you, you're the guy exactly who I hate. You're who I hate. You're who Boom. I'm secretly envious of. You're the, you're who I'm extremely jealous of. You you're the guy I right. don't like. I'll act like I like you. I don't like you. I can't stand you. I create laws against you. You are who I create laws against. It's a very weird, dirty space that you get into, bro. And uh, you know, uh, uh, you have to play it in a very, very cautious way because. People like this will flip because they're getting the next opportunity coming up, and they'll drop you in a heartbeat. Andrew Cuomo was God two years ago, guys. Two years ago, we were watching Cuomo brothers thinking they're going to be replacing Jimmy Kimmel and Fallon. We thought they were going to be the late-night show. And then what happens? Both of them get fired. Would you have even guessed 24 months ago, <laughs> August close. of 2020, both Cuomos are going to be fired? You would have guessed that one of them is going to be a president way before you would have guessed that both of them were going to be fired. This is a very weird world mm -hmm. where betrayal is an art, and some are comfortable with it, some are not. And if you entered that space, you, you have to have already been stabbed so many times on the back because... You need that to be able to make it in that space. It's yeah, a very, very dark space. I hear you out, make a very valid point. At, at the end of the day, though, character does matter. And your character, whether you were 26 and 43 now, has not wavered. The question that people have about Donald Trump I, is his character. I, I don't think anybody questions that. That's fine to say that, to, to say the character part. Fine, no problem. But, bro, as much as people want to... Okay, for example, take somebody, uh, George Soros. Love him or hate him. What's the guy worth? Twenty billion? I don't know what the billion. guy's worth. Twenty billion. Say whatever you want to say about the guy. Mm -hmm. Talking to his financial advisor from UK right now. Say whatever you want to say about the guy. You don't like the guy? You don't like the guy? Go make twenty billion dollars. <laughs> you have to respect the twenty bill. You 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 don't like uh pick another billionaire you don't like. I don't Bezos, you don't like Bezos? Go build what he built. Go do it. Good luck to you. Go ahead. Go, you don't like any of these professional sports owners? Go do what they did. This is hard. I can be tall and jump high and go into sports. I cannot automatically win in business. It's very, very hard, right? Okay. To, to get to the levels he made it and have the parties he put, and everybody wanted to party with this guy. He was on all the rap songs, Tupac, Snoop, everybody. The day he announces he runs, now you hate the guy. Why? Because I, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. That makes me a little uncomfortable. They told to say, you to hate him. Yeah. So, so look, you know, you have we have to also be able to look past that to say, wait, 
until 2014, he was a guy we rapped about, made shows about, and watched eyeballs, we read books, Art of the Deal. That was a book. And wait, all that stuff we celebrated? Oh, got it. You totally get it. I get it. Okay, now you're going to lose control of all the political you know, gold cards and platinum cards you've had to get into all the parties. You don't like that guy now? All right, now maybe you're the MV1 that was weak and you don't like guys like this because you're jealous of them. Yeah, okay, God, I see your weakness as well. No problem. So there has to be that balance between the two is all I'm saying. Anyways, our time's up. We're at 10.59. Royce, uh, it's been a blast having you on. You make some uh, uh, extremely deep points. There were moments you were talking where I was just you know, uh, with you the entire time where you were going with it. You made me think about a lot of the topics. Uh, audience, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it. If you did, give it a, thumb, a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. And he has a podcast and a new YouTube channel, I believe, that you just launched. Yep. Let's make sure to put that in the description in the chat box, folks. Go subscribe, follow his content. And uh, once again, thanks for tuning in. I believe we are doing podcasts this Thursday. Yeah, we have are Dr. We? Uh, ben Carson. Dr. Ben, ben Carson is going to be here Thursday. Join us. Looking forward to doing that, Royce, once again. Thank you, brother. Brother, thanks I for coming out. This time. was great. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.